Yo, 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 welcome to Crate 808 and another episode in our series tackling the greatest three album runs in hip hop history. And for today's agenda, we're going to need more than a suitcase up in the centre because it is huge. Yes, we're digging into the early catalogue of the incomparable Wu Tang Clan. I'm certain I can beat you. This monolithic body of work could be daunting to some, but we got some of the very best voices in rap to break down the group's first three albums. And turns out, yes, this shit really is crazy flamboyant for the rap enjoyment. But before we dig into the birth of one of the most incredible musical phenomenons ever, we just wanted to remind you to please rate and review this show on any podcast platform you listen to. It's pretty mad just how much that helps us grow and gets even more of these episodes in your rotation. And on that, all you you rap nerds please do check out our patreon for a whole series on the wu-tang clan our wu chronicles tackle each wu member's solo output digging into what exactly sets them all apart and the monumental influence of their work on there you've got about 40 50 episodes of wu-tang content we've got an mf doom and jay dilla series and 1990s hidden gem album reviews and much much more so please do hit up patreon.com slash 808 and help support the show so we can make more episodes like this one right here for you. So anyway, enough of the housework and let's kick off this episode with a pretty amazing summary of the Woo. From 1993 through 2000, the group and its members released 20 albums, at least 10 of which can be reasonably called classic, reasonably called classic, five of which are iconic and a couple that changed hip hop irreversibly. Now, that from critic Sean Fennessy pretty much sets the scene and what we're about to dive into. This clan ain't nothing to fuck with, so let's catch a blast off the hype verse, a journey into the world of the Wu-Tang Clan. Yo, 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 welcome to Crate 808. And today we have a very special guest on board. We've got label head and genre bending producer, Gang PTP, aka King Vision Ultra, in the house. Today is bigger than words, because today we talk Wu-Tang Clan, greatest three album runs, and Gang PTP, man, you're here with me. King Vision is with me, and we're going to do 36 Chambers, Wu-Tang Forever, and the W from 2000. Gang, man, how you doing? How are you doing? I'm well. I'm very well, G. I cannot complain. Thank you for having me. I got to start rapping so I can get one of those really crazy cam intros maybe <laughs> next time. <laughs> oh, you know those. You know those. Oh, no. Bro. I'm tapped in with Crate 808. Come on. That, that's a drop right there for you. I'm tapped in, G. <laughs> nah, but yeah, man. Really happy to be here. This is a bit of a change of format, I feel like, for the show. So started, this is a conversation that we've been having in the voice notes for a second. So I'm just glad to it's like wax poetic on these beautiful works. Yeah, man. That's it. And this is the start of something beautiful. We've been talking in the DMs here about Doom and, and Wu seems such a natural fit because when we kick off with the Wu, like what more can you say that hasn't been said already about the Wu, right? So I thought this is a good way just to sit down with another fellow geek and just get your actual unique perspective on it, right? But before we jump into any Wu goodness, uh, you hear the show, so we need to ask you, what is the least hip-hop thing you've done in the last 24 hours, man? Crying while I cut onions, like last night. You know, like I just had some really aggressive onions that well, I was made, I made curry. I made some banging, banging curry. But my goodness, like 
I would like the knife, like almost, I was like dropping the knife because it was just like too much of an assault on my like eyes. It was crazy. I'm just going to do a call back to one of my cutting garlic phrases was one of my answers to this. And I was thinking for you, how do you cut your garlic, mate? Do you cut it poorly style Goodfellas? Paulie did the prep work. He was doing a year for contempt and he had this wonderful system for doing the garlic. He used a razor and he used to slice it so thin that it used to liquefy in the pan with just a little oil. It's a very good system. That's funny. I always harken back to that scene in Goodfellas because it's just like that razor thin, you know, I mean, he's clearly cutting it with like a like a razor blade. Recently, and just probably because I saw something on the YouTube uh, recipe or cooking show, whatever, I was just like, I've just been really, really crudely chopping it up. Just like, fum, 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 fum. just one, one pass each clove. Yeah, yeah. There we go. I think we should just do a garlic podcast. Let's do a cooking podcast. Let's do this. Mate, who, mem- <laughs> who members have? Ghost has gone and done that. Ghost has done recipes and shit and like fucking holiday recipes. Like, come on, I'm here for it. And this is where we start then. This is where we start. 36 Chambers, Enter the Wu-Tang, this album and this run. Why do you think it's so important and why do you think it stands out? There wasn't anything like it at the time. First and foremost, this was the beginning of something new. I mean, you remember like 92, like all eyes were kind of still on the West Coast or, or rather all eyes were on the West Coast. And, you know, that's how it was reported also too. like 92, 91. There were plenty of, you know, iconic canonical releases from say like New York City, for instance, like, you know, or like the East Coast or whatever. But, you know, once that whole chronic death row things started to really pop off or whatever from the nwa era and then also you had ice cube and you know what i'm saying there was that g-funk thing that was going on on the west coast that really had a lot of people and i think also let's just be real like a lot of the suburbs and like consumers at the mall very very entranced or whatever it was a, it was a voyeuristic thing i think in a lot of regards so you know wu-tang kind of came around the time when in New York, we had these like this intersection of not only hip hop and not only like what was acceptable to be played at like a at, like a club, for instance, and on radio as well. But there was this skate culture, street skating culture that was going on at the same time. And, you know, these were kids who were also into like hardcore punk. So they'd be going like CBGBs on the, uh, or for the matinees or, or ACB, ABC No Rio, whatever. So Wu-Tang just seemed so otherworldly in a way, because it was like, we just didn't hear, like, you didn't really hear, like, you may have heard like a Kung Fu sample on like an album somewhere, but it wasn't like a world that was being built. You know what I mean? It wasn't this new sort of like sonic realm and shit like that. What RZA did was break rules. We didn't hear no production like that. You know, there's the protect your neck was being handed out and like kind of force fed to certain DJs on on college radio or whoever was accessible to them. And it's a song that had what, you know, eight, nine people. I'm, I'm bugging if I, I'm bugging that I don't know the number right off the top of my head. But like, I'm just talking about this album more so from memory. I revisited it a couple of times, but it was like a month or two ago. And like, I just know this album so fucking well because it was that everyone you had to have it you had to know the words to it back to front you had to know all the the skits and whatnot that's how much of an impact it had on us as like teenagers but like literally like you know like protect your neck had no hook it was just verse 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 it was like scenario on steroids like the posse cut was there already but this was like double that Ray got it going on, pal. Call me the rap assassinator. 
Rhymes rugged and built like Schwarzenegger So if you wanna try to flip, go flip on the next man Cause I'll grab the clip and picture with 16 shots and more I got Going to war with the melting pot ha. It's the Method Man for short, Mr. Map Move it on your left Instead it off, get it off, let it off like a gat I wanna break food, cock me back What crap, my nut gets cool Here comes my Shaolin style Truth be able be why you To my crew with the Yeah, yeah, yeah Come on, baby, baby, come on Baby, come on, baby, baby, come on Yo, the best to check your neck First things first, man. And it's just like, yo, like people, you know, people had a weird reaction to it at first. Like certain DJs were like, wow, like this is just a bunch of people rapping. Like, what are you talking about? And what is this beat? To this day, I don't understand a lot of the production on that album. Like as a producer myself and as a person who engineers or whatnot as well, I don't understand a lot of what was going on in that album. And I think that's like a testament to how brilliant it truly is. You know what I mean? So that shit is a moment for real. What are the things that still kind of beguile you or like make you still wonder like, what the fuck is that? Do you know any moments on the album where you're like, shit, what the fuck is that? From the opening, Bring the Ruckus, like that song, like the way that beat just doesn't have a form. Like there's a formlessness to like that and even protecting like all these samples kind of like meandering in and out, coming in and out. And then, so like, it sounds like Riz is at the board, kind of like live dropping in and out like various stems as we call them like various like tracks within the beat you know what i'm saying so elements of the beat are coming in and out he's muting him unmuting them on the fly so there's just, like little moments where things clash but it still somehow makes sense there is like a certain noisy element to that especially that production beyond that it's just like why did you do that like try to wrap your head around the thought process of like just hearing a record and being like oh i want to sample this part and i want to take then this fragment off my tv and then this fragment off of this garbage can i'm banging in the hallway or like rather like i want to bang a garbage can in the hallway to make this big snare as heard on bring the ruckus like that's the story behind that big like that big reverberating snare Yeah, y'all must have been smoking some really crazy <laughs> shit. Like, it's that angel dust or whatever it was. Yeah, I, was, I mean, there was definitely some wet and maybe some mess tabs and other things in the mix. Yeah. So, yeah. Mate, um, ODB but, yeah. was in that studio, so let's just go there. Amazing work from Gang PTP there, analyzing just how far RZA was taking the hip hop art form. But let's just study the actual dope usage of Kung Fu film clips in his work and how it's not just actually a gimmick, because it easily could be but it actually holds some real significance on a deeper level. Check this from an amazing piece in the Washington Post by Christopher Porter, and he went on to interview Tom Vick, a renowned film programmer, who said, Sure, some of the fight scenes in those campy old kung fu flicks look a lot like breakdancing moves, but it's not just the awesome physical skills of martial arts that have influenced hip-hop culture. There's a political aspect, says Tom Vick. The lone minority fending off authoritarian white invaders resonated with kids growing up in the inner city. This empowerment is what inspired Wu-Tang mastermind RZA, who in his 2009 book The Tower of Wu, talks about getting emotional whilst watching the 1978 classic The 36 
next chamber of Shaolin. This idea of brotherhood and honour in the film was similar to what kids in the burgeoning hip-hop scene lived, just trying to survive in the projects of New York. Vic says they saw something in those films other people may have seen as campy or silly, but they saw it as a very real way of living. A way to live according to a code of honour. Indeed, superbly laid out there, and if you want some of Riz's own thoughts on this kind of sampling and his favourite kung fu flicks, just visit his conversation with Vanity Fair. Hey yo, this movie, The Master of the Flying Guillotine, yo. The Flying Guillotine became what I used as my choice of lyrical weapon. So when you hear the song, Wu-Tang Clan ain't nothing to f*** with. I start off and I be tossing and forcing. My style is awesome. Causing more family feuds than Richard Dawson. And the survey said, you're dead. The fatal flying guillotine chops off your fucking head. So basically, Wu Tang's tongue is like a sword. Five Deadly Venoms, directed by Chang Che. This film right here is actually the film that made me become a Kung Fu fanatic. You can hear the sample in a song we got called The Mystery of Chess Boxing where it starts off. Style is immensely strong and immune to nearly any weapon. When it's properly used, it's almost invincible. So Shogun Assassin, which is the intro to the Jizzers album Liquid Swords. When I was little, my father was famous. He was the greatest samurai in the empire. Most of our influence came from kung fu movies. Sometimes there's a lot of swinging, a lot of blocking, but in Japanese samurai movies, it's one stroke kills. Bing, stroke, bing, stroke. When it came time to incorporate a film into the Wu-Tang world, I chose this film to represent the Jizza. His lyrics are straight to the point. Man, Shogun Assassin is a certified classic. Do go check that out. But speaking on that deeper level of Asian culture compared to Western with the Bridge podcast, Rizza really brings home the importance of the sonic signature of the Wu-Tang Clan. Western culture had distorted history and distorted things so much, for the, especially for the black man that when you turn to the Asian culture, you didn't find that same distortion, you know? China actually preserved their history. There was so much that was preserved that it gave you a glimpse of the world that was different than just Greek mythology, different than, oh, 400 years of slavery. You know I mean? It was different. It became something very uh, healthy for me, so. Great insight from Rizza right there. So now let's kick it back to our conversation about our personal histories of the Wu, including a dope conversation with rapper Zilla Rocker, Curly Castro and Midas the Beast from our Patreon episode that broke down Raekwon's classic debut album, Only Built for Cuban Links. This is what I mean. There's so many threads to what you've just said. You had to know this album. I think that was one thing that as a kid growing up and literally being laughed out of the car when I put 36 Chambers on, these kids did not know what this was. They were like, what? This is sh They literally like, this is dog shit. And funny, they made a song called Dog Shit on the second album because I was like, shit, you guys were fucking rinsing this. But then there's four or five of us in that car, yet one of us gets it and the other kids don't. That made it almost like a badge of pride for me, which was like, no, 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 I'm not on my own. I know people are loving this. So you needed to know it. What you said there about it was nothing like it before and you 
linked it to Scenario, right? The thing about Scenario is it is incredible, but you kind of know the talent. You kind of know Tribe. You kind of know Native Tongues. You kind of know what's coming when you see that track list. You don't know what's coming when Protect Your Neck comes out. Like, who are you? What are you talking about? Like, I don't know who you are. And that was the beauty of that question mark above the whole album. No faces on the cover, just masks. I grew up on a diet of, like, we had a shop where we had rental videos. So I would literally be left in the back of the store while my mum and dad worked. Immigrant parents working 24 hours almost and the kid in the back is watching Bruce Lee Jackie Chan flicks. That was me. And I remember when I heard and that then hit me as well. If you weren't a kid in 93, 94, 95, like you didn't understand the mystery of who these niggas was mysterious as fuck. Yes. yes. They were going like to we shows were, masked up, bro, into shows. It wasn't just like video. Like I remember when I heard yeah, I heard the rumor of the ski masks, like that they were way random. Yeah, I remember bro. seeing it in the shadow boxes video, and I'm like, okay. Yeah. Growing up, I grew up in New York, full disclosure. So yeah, if you wore a ski mask, you was robbing the place. Like, you know, <laughs> you, you, that's it. Like, there was no, men didn't have those things. I would, every rule was broken. There's nine of these motherfuckers? Where's the hooks? Why does the video have time code in the bottom? You know, you gotta, you gotta understand, like, for me, I'm a kid, bro. Like, I'm... I'm 12. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I don't fucking know nothing about shit. Mm. Like, I'm just getting put on to all this shit. And these niggas was real mysterious niggas, bro. You said ill shit. You just said, like, yo, they was, they, you know, it was nine niggas. I didn't know it was nine niggas. I thought it was a hundred niggas. <laughs> right, 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 right. You know what I'm saying? Like, the way they showed up and showed yeah, who yeah, fucking yeah, knew? Yeah. I was like, yo, I was telling my my, my kids at my the other kids at school, like, yo, y'all heard of this Wu Tang clan? There's a mm. hundred of them. It's the name clan. <laughs> it was <laughs> clan. There's a hundred of them. Hey, yo, and, think about yeah, that. Right. And I'm that, telling that niggas, yeah, I'm clan. like, yo, me, yo, the leader's name is Method Man. <laughs> But that's why impo- that's how important that skit is on 36. As a guy who's never seen these guys, I didn't see the time code yeah. video, I didn't see anything. It was that skit where he's like, he's this guy, he's this guy, he's oh, this guy. Start from the top. Inspect the deck. He's like, he's like that dude that'll sit back and watch you uh-huh. play yourself and all that, right? Uh-huh. And see you sit there and know you lying, and he'll take you to court after that because he the inspector. That's why he the, and and also he the rebel lion that. Uh-huh. You know what I'm saying? And, and Shalar Raekwon, he the chef. He cooking up some marvelous shit to get your mouth watering <laughs> on some okay. old shit. Okay. Then then it's then it's the method, man. It's like mad different methods to the way I do my shit. Mm-hmm. You got smoke a bean in here. I'm telling you, my, <laughs> basically method man is like roll that shit, light that shit, smoke okay. it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> You know what that's from? Yeah. That's comic book DNA. Yes, comic books. I love books. the way they introduce the new hero. They have a little panel mm. with the title, with the name at the bottom, and his, his real name, and AKA, and the other name has a little yeah. raise to it, like yeah. uh, Solar <laughs> Man. Like, AKA yeah, Ghost Rider. Exactly. And so, right then you're mm. like, oh, what, what, are these rap superheroes? I'm like, oh, there's another one. And then I'm telling them, I can tell the voices, oh, there's another What? <laughs> and I remember the main thing about Wu-Tang was they're always, people feel, they were always sprawling crews. There were crews with extended crews. There were big crews back then. But everybody on Wu was dope. Mm. And that's what used to turn my brain upside down. Mm. Oh, this guy's dope. The seventh guy is dope. Mm, what do you right. mean? Usually, the closer is usually the best. Usually <laughs> right. it's like, let's take uh, um, Lost Boys. There's a hierarchy. Everybody kind of played their part, or the biggest one, I think, Proswell. You get eight bars, mm-hmm. homie, and you're out. And mm-hmm. everybody knew their role. When I heard Wu-Tang, everybody was nice. 
that used to blow my mind because groups always had weak links and yep. stronger guys and the bigger personalities and stuff. But Wu-Tang, every time the voice flipped, it was another dope motherfucker. Oh, another mm. another dope mother with a totally different style. And then in one crew, the authenticity of the skits. When mm. Mob Deep came out, I tell people this story all the time. If you were in New York, there was an issue with Mob the Infamous because you still were questioning the authenticity of these kids. Because mm. Juvenile Hell was like, yo, they too young. They shooting up what? Nah, they go to, right. nah. It was like unbelievable. I'm being honest. This is how New York was. When mm. Infamous came out, you was like, are these studio gangs? What are these kids talking mm. about? Because they were young as hell. They timmed out. When it came to Wu-Tang, though, it was never a question. Like, these cats knew what they were talking about and shit like that. Back then, we didn't know nothing. That was what I think made Wu-Tang so crazy. Now, what we know now is everybody knew RZA in New York. You hear the stories of RZA being at Primo's house. RZA was truly running that around connective New York tissue. everywhere. You right. know truly the connective tissue. Like he, he was, was connected a, to everything. So yes. RZA, from just a, a, a street respect standpoint, specifically as it pertained to hip hop, RZA was a was a guy who, oh yeah, I know that dude. That's that kid, right? That's that's Rakeem. Yeah, we mm. seen Rakeem. Rakeem be at this party. Rakeem be at that party. Oh, that's genius. You know mm. what I'm saying? We know genius. You know what right. I'm saying? That's, mm. that's genius. And then the other guys, the other guys was in the street and Muggs knew him from being in the street. You know what mm. I'm saying? Especially when you talk about Ghost and Ray, Ray bro. and Oof. Tech that's and you God. You know what I'm saying? Like mm. these guys was, these guys was in the street. If you realize, like RZA's family, from what I understand, I could be wrong here, but I don't think I am. I think I remember this correctly, is that RZA is part of the largest like family in New York. Oof, There's just more human beings in his family than in any <laughs> other family. No, that is true. He, he is a, a powerful like, New York family. Yeah, that, like that Cuffy, yeah. that Cuffy family. That, like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Their, their whole family is deep. They're every borough. They'll tell you all the time, like Devon is his older brother, but RZA was the was the um, was the wisdom. He had an older brother that came to him for advice. There's something different about that. People yeah. know about siblings and things of that nature. A natural born leader, like you don't learn it. You just are. Right. Oh, people sit there like and and you know Riz is big with the speeches and the conflagrated stories but think about people sitting down men and looking up at him and listening mm. you know what i'm saying that's the power of being a leader like people gonna listen even if you're just fluffing they listen right. to that the papa Wu. they sat still right not quiet and they yeah. also because of their five percent upbringing that's mm. another people people miss we you know you didn't know that was a certain discipline on how to research and learn and learning how to be quiet with the martial arts thing like there's a lot to that a lot of kids in that era they couldn't stop it was too much noise for them to stop one and two listen mm. too much noise going on and so i think these kids mastered that like yo we're gonna listen we listen to the streets mm. there's a new things that them executives couldn't even touch at all now that right there was an insane marathon get together patreon.com slash create 808 for that full two and a half hour review on the genius that is Raekwon, but as much as the actual mythos and mystery of the Wu-Tang Clan built a magical allure around the group, never ever sleep on their lyrical proficiency. Just look how UK hip-hop legend Akala broke it down during a lecture. Oh, oh. Wu-Tang style. But in terms of language, really for me, like if you listen to Wu-Tang back now, abomatomically, Socrates philosophies and hypotheses can't define a white bitch up in the Like it's mental, the stuff they were saying. Like RZA has a rap called 12 Jewels. That's about physics. 
In the pre-existence of the mathematical biochemical equations and manifestations of earth, air, fire and water, which, which are in its basic formations, solids, liquids and gases that cause the land masses and the space catalyst and all matter that exists and is dense, the third dimension must be observed from physical comprehension. It takes a nerve to be struck. Wisdom is the wise poet spoken to wake up. Right? So, I never thought Shakespeare's language was that dense because I grew up listening to the woo. And so I looked at Shakespeare and I was like, yeah, this is calm. Exactly. All of that. All of that. Big up Akala and his stellar, stellar musical taste. So now let's get back with Gang PTP on the actual build-up to 36 Chambers. You're absolutely right. I think there's a badge of identity. It was nothing like it. It was the Wild West. These were the cowboys that kind of come out of nowhere. And there were nine of them, bro. Like, come on. What did you think to that? Like, who hit you first? Like, do you remember that first feeling when you were like, shit, that guy, that's my guy? Or do you remember? In retrospect and listening now, I fully believe that Ray and Method Man found their voices first. They sound the most sort of like, put together to me in terms or or just confident like the way ghostface sounded on that album and it was writing on that album to then where he was obviously at 97 is a fucking that's a quantum leap you know what i'm saying he completely different person rizzo was was one of my favorites back then just because of his like his energy and his voice obviously uh old dirty too because he was just crazy with the voice and just you're like what is he saying like why like why did he phrase it like that he was one of those cats that you were like why did you say it that way you know what i'm saying and like it could be the simplest line but then he'll he'll make it pop because of his his like vocal talents or styling so to speak it's it's like a dance hall chat in the way that like you could take a phrase and make that shit sing you know what i'm saying like just pop off the the recording also, I had to really, really big up. Um, I mean, one of my favorite verses on the album, and I don't want to cut to any questions too early or whatever, but like Master Killer. Master Killer's verse on chess boxing comes out of nowhere because also this is like, he's not even credited really on, I feel like he wasn't even credited on certain versions of the release. You're like, who the fuck is this person? Like, it's the same, it's like almost the same feeling as like when you first heard Protect Your Neck and you're like, yo, who are these people? And then now they got this cat and like this cat is just like, technically like the pocket is all over, but it, it's something to like behold though like the way he's phrasing things and whatnot i think that's definitely one of my favorite verses on the whole album Legal and death is a penalty. One justifies the homicide when he dies in his own iniquity. It's the master of the mantis rapture coming at you. We have an APB on an MC killer. Looks like the work of a master. Evidence indicates that a stature merciless like a terrorist. Method Man was the star, kind of like out the gate. He's fully formed. Fully formed. Fully formed. That's what I mean by like like finding their voices or whatnot. I think Ray also. Come on, Rayon Cream, like that's the makings to the Cuban links. You know what I mean? That's the makings to the purple tape. So I grew up on the crime side, the New York Times side. Staying alive was no job. At second hands, moms bounced on old man. So then we moved to Shallon Land. A young youth, you're rocking the go to low goose. Only way I begin the GO was drug loot. And let's start it like this, son. That voice, like everyone knew that gruff. That, you know, both he and Method Man had their own sort of lane or channel of gruff. You know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. And Ghost at some point. Ghost had that, just had that little, yeah, this yeah, is yeah, it. They yeah. all had their little moments. And just you saying there about like how they found their voices first and some did seem fully formed. Jizza seemed a giant. Like I hear him now and now I understand why he was my number one go-to woo straight away. He was my number one go-to woo because he anchors and opens some of my favourite tracks, but he has not one 
not one wasted line on this whole album. Uh, you can listen to the whole album. Jizz there for me is just a monument. It's a monument in rap. And it heralds back to the 80s. Getting older, you realise, oh, there's a lot of 80s in his style. Like, there is a lot of Kane. There's a lot of racking. But again, he's made it his own and it's a different delivery. So it's a more, I will punch you in the face delivery, you know. Now, before we dig any deeper into the clan's first album, let's hear from writer and DJ John Morrison on what made the Woo so special in the grand scheme of pop culture. I've said this before, and Willa Shawn's book, Chamber Music, really digs into this and, and articulates it brilliantly and in great detail. But the Wu-Tang Clan may be the greatest example of cultural synthesis that we've seen, certainly in our lifetimes. You have a group of guys from Staten Island, New York. They're getting 70 soul from their parents. They're growing up in the wake of hip hop culture's birth. They're coming home watching Saturday afternoon kung fu movies on TV after, you know, running around the streets in the morning. You know, you come home and, and go back in the crib and, and watch all of these like Shaw Brothers films. And with that early hip hop influence, they're building upon this old school archetype that they got from the Cold Crush Brothers. All of these groups. Wu-Tang Clan is black Gen X culture crystallized. They come out the gate wild innovation. You know, RZA's flipping samples in ways that we've never heard. They got the interludes and the dialogue samples from the Kung Fu films. And they're bringing all of this new energy and these characters, ODB, Ghostface, Raekwon. This shit was like mythical, you know what I mean? Like, especially when 36 Chambers came out and then Wu-Tang Forever. I'm from Philly and the Wu was like a phenomenon. Kids in our school would draw, they would take markers and draw that famous Wu-Tang logo, that bird, that W on their clothing and wear that shit. Kids would come to school with straw hats and take little pieces of foil and make fangs and wear them to school in a way of like copying the Wu-Tang. So that shit, I, I say it to people all the time, like the Wu was like Beatlemania. You know what I'm saying? Like it really enraptured kids of my generation, the elder millennials, as they say, because, you know, we were teenagers right when the Wu hit. You know what I mean? And these these were Gen X kids, our, our older brothers and older sisters generation really fusing together all of their cultural influences and, and putting it into something that was completely unique. Cultural synthesis. John absolutely smashed that big up. So now let's talk about 36 Chambers. Not only did this record help swing the power dynamics back to the East Coast in a market where West Coast rap was thriving, it also flooded white suburban culture and college campuses and dorm rooms with a fiercely pro-black ethos, providing a whole new dimension of atomic, unpredictable otherness to hip-hop. They didn't call it 1993 exoticness for nothing. And if you listen to their demo off court, it's all about me, it sounded much more coherent to the sounds of 1990s rap at large, but it emphasises just how remarkable their musical choices and evolution really was kicking on from that song. Me, 
gang, yo it's time I won't tank plan Get a guy hand, yes I am the man And I'm gonna blow, big man yo and with most things in life, 36 Chambers is also about timing. As Dylan Green excellently puts it in his brilliant Pitchfork review of 36 Chambers, he says, The album is an insular and weird album by design, arriving not a moment too soon in a decade where insular and weird music found unexpected traction in the mainstream. It directly paved the way for a harder-edged New York rap and provided a hardcore hip-hop blueprint that's been followed followed by rap purists and collectives for nearly three decades. But more than anything, it's a testament to pop culture's power to create and forge brotherhood. So incredibly put by Dylan there, and just listen to Only Built for Cuban Links now and see the moving tapestry of the kinship Raekwon and Ghostface Killer felt for one another in that brotherly love. And when you're talking about the tracks themselves on 36 Chambers, just think about the sheer power of Cream. Cash rules everything around me. As Jeff Weiss describes it in Forbes, cash rules everything around me isn't a mantra, it's manifest destiny. It's a reminder that we live in America, a nation with a high cost of living and a shredded safety net. Wu were there to tell you how to get it by any means. Wu-Tang will last longer than any currency that you hold in your palm. The clan dropped cream at the height of the East Coast Keeping It Real era. Puff Daddy still struggled to make Bad Boy a viable champagne rap emporium. De La Soul and Diggable Planets brought sophisticated jazz cool to the younger generation. And Wu-Tang, they bought the ruckus with sound financial advice. Just brilliant from Jeff there. Or you could talk about Protect Your Neck, or The Mystery of Jess Boxing, or Bring the Ruckus. Bring the Ruckus alone on that track just look no further than my man yo phillips in his woo essay in the always excellent rap portraits when he talks about that song he says bring the motherfucking ruckus on paper reads like a request for war to hear is say it loud and ludicrous sounds like a full body battle cry escaping his lungs as if he's shouting in a room covered in rampage tables flung chairs tossed teeth on the ground as a song chorus it's a wrecking crew chant repeated four times before any verses on bring the ruckus are heard foreshadowing the demolition to come with just four words, a tone is set, a promise is made, an energy decided. To provide a listener with all that context on an album intro, a debut that gives them a warning, allowing anyone who decided to press play on Enter the Wu-Tang 36 Chambers to know immediately they weren't playground rappers making music for after-school specials. This was hip-hop for the ready and willing steppers prepared to stomp on heels and heads for their respect. I couldn't have said it any better right there. Big up Yo Phillips and all the dope rap writers out there. We see you. But now, enough of me rambling. Let's get back to our regular schedule programming. That's the thing about this album. When you think where this went to Wu-Tang Forever, with 36 Chambers for me, this album does so many things. But one of the big things is, it is the slime from the ocean that comes and then births and geneticizes into other things. You talked about Master Killer's flow. That flow is still what I hear now in independent hip hop, in art, some people call it art rap or whatever. You know that flow that, what's the pocket there? Like, how have you, and I find that ODB as well. ODB, I, as a kid, when I was 13, 14, I used to be embarrassed that ODB was coming on 
And if someone could hear it, they were going to straight not give him a chance and be like, what is this? He's got no harmony. He's not even rapping. And, you know, I thought he was an easy target because I had to back him. And as a kid, I'd be like, oh, yeah, he's going to he's singing. But I loved it. But I was really worried about what my mates would think when ODB came on the track, which is really odd, like self-conscious way of thinking until you really don't give a fuck about other people. And you realise it don't matter because what he's singing, man, is, is it. Was it off the bat you realised this is a classic or this is my favorite album or did you remember when that happened for you? That's a damn good question. While I think about that, let me also just back up your point about Jizza and, and also add on that Jizza was like one of the elders in the crew already, right? He already had a cold chilling experience. Like he was signed to a different label, Prince Rakim, you know, both had like albums out. We love you Rakim with, with uh, like, I think Ray and, Dirty were in that video, like painting Ray's a definitely wall. in the video. I think he's painting or something. He definitely has like a roller or like a paintbrush in his hand or some shit. Like I, I remember seeing that video in 94, 95, like being like, yo, let's make one. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> oh shit. They've been friends or they've been kind of rolling together way before they even had like the Wu-Tang thing figured out. And, you know, Jizza being the elder and also having like had like a full on album, Words from the Genius, I believe which I bought thinking it was going to sound anything like anything Wu-Tang. And I was just like, after Pass the Bone, it's just, it is a very, as you said, like more like 80s. So it's got that 80s residue on it and the sound. And like, and I'm just like, ooh, this is not what I was expecting at all. Bone, pass the bone, kid, pass the bone. Yo, genius. Pass the bone, kid, pass the bone. Pass the bone, kid, pass the bone. Pass the bone, kid, pass the bone. Pass the bones outside a nightclub. We shine some young bloods. Drinking forties right down to the suds. Ready to flow inside and rip the mic phone. And all I needed was a cess bone. To the actual question at hand, uh, I think I was around like a lot of my friends were skaters. They would go hit the Brooklyn Banks and other like little iconic spots or whatever. Um, and you know, be around the heads who were in Zoo York on that team or cats who were on um, chocolate or girl or whatever, just like ill, like iconic street skaters of the time or whatnot. And like, this is just something that was so celebrated in that circle because it spoke to like the rebel mentality. I think it spoke to the youth punk aspect, right? It sounded so different that it was like, well, this is like a new type of rap or a new type of music. So in that way, it was like very punk rock. Anyway, my point being, to me, it seemed almost instantaneous because over here it was just like, I don't know, like you had to know Method Man. You watched the videos, you dubbed the tape. I mean, you bought the tape. If you didn't, couldn't afford it, then you just dubbed the shit off the radio and just ran that shit or your friend would dub it for you or you'd make your own. It was like a meteor, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I just, something that I can maybe compare it to is like, damn, like the first time maybe Rock Kim, like paid in full, criminal minded or... De La Soul, Three Feet High, something where it's just like, this is so different and like kind of mind blowing. Also, I got the album later. I didn't get it in 93. I just, so I was hearing the songs by proxy and kind of like experiencing it that way. I didn't really start buying my own music. I was only dubbing tapes. So I, I didn't start spending my money or my allowance or whatever on music until like 94. And that wasn't even the first tape I bought, which is weird, but 
It definitely was in that year. That changes your experience of the whole group, right? It's like having it maybe in your Walkman or like going to bed with it. You start, you know, put it in. It's mad to think that's the energy I'm going to bed with, which is like bring the motherfucking rockers. Do you know what I mean? But <laughs> I have the story. I mean, like literally my experience is waking up to that shit. Cause like I had a one of those Sony hi-fi systems with the two tape decks and it's the CD changer and you can set the alarm clock on it and it would play. So like every morning I'd be like Shaolin shuttle boxing. And I was just like, <laughs> <laughs> march on to the day, like oh, just out crazy. That's yeah. amazing. So, um, that's amazing. It's that. And like, I remember that and like end of the stage, Black Moon, their first album being like my like wake up <laughs> for like a whole year, like just waking up to just the most like rockish shit. There's a thing to that otherworldliness thing you were saying. Because, like, you look at this album, what it did, you say they gave New York its mojo back. It showed there is still so much talent in that city, you know, obviously. The weird thing is, it isn't just one MC that everyone looks at and loves. Could have been meth. Numerous ones of these can be in different people's top fives, which I think is a weird thing to get your head around. It's like, that's too much talent, isn't it? You know, sometimes you have super groups and it just doesn't sound or like they don't complement each other or it's just the names. You're just getting the names and they're all doing their verses and that's it. But I think the word I loved about this album and they take it to another level on forever, which is the synergy, the lyrical energy synergy. And is that the producer who helps mold that? Was it all of them just freestyle battle rappers doing that? They sound like battle rappers, but they know how to make a song. As in, one of my favourite whole verses is Rizza on Protect Your Neck. And it's like banging like African drums. And as he's doing the line, the crew are going, she'll be coming around the map. That's a synergy that they've planned out, they've worked it out, and they've laid down one of the best verses of all time for me. And I think that combined with, holy shit, we're actually saying shit. We're not just battle MCs saying you need to come strapped with a pamper. I am saying that, but I'm also saying there's this pro-black ethos in the Muslim kind of like, it, that's what it sounded like to me. It sounded like a very Muslim text because I am Indian and hearing. It sounded like, oh, no pork, no. Oh, so these guys are Muslim, but it's like, no, they're five percenters. And you start to hear this stuff after, right? Not only are you bringing that ethos to it, ingraining it in God and the way you're talking, you're also then flooding white culture with it on your own terms. And we've not even talked about like their business sense, but that's amazing, right? Like you can do all this stuff and the words that Riz, what's it, Ray says, uh, this is 1993 exoticness. And those words to me is like shit yeah you did it was exotic it was to me it was completely exotic not only are you i've never lived your life but you've built a world in this one album that you've just transported me there by the gruff of the collar you know what i mean and i don't know what you think to that yeah it, this was such a bug out it's like a, such a head bust because it was like you have the kung fu stuff here and that has a certain place in especially like new york culture with me sharing having that have that same experience of being like yo like i was watching saturday afternoon kung fu theater every you know as an only child kind of left to my own devices me and my legos and the tv or the radio you want any help and like on saturday tv would be on and it'd be like watching like yeah jackie chan watching end of the dragon chinese connection etc cetera, etc cetera, whatever but you know there was like a big thing with 42nd street the deuce 
as, as, as it was known or whatever. And like, you know, RZA tells a story about like taking the ferry over to the deuce. The deuce wasn't safe. Wasn't like a good place for a child. You know what I mean? Do not recommend, uh, you know, going to like the double features and whatnot, where like, you just see him like Kung Fu flicks. Tiger style. You know, they had like those like Shaw Brothers specials or the Golden Harvest specials and whatnot. Um, those like Hong Kong movie studios producing like 99.9% of the things that you, you also would then hear on these Wu-Tang albums. <laughs> and then you'd have that coupled with 5% or 5% of ideology, obviously talk, you know, like where he's just like with that whole thing about, yo, Sean Meek head just got busted five times. God, da, 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 da. yo, you know, Sean Meek, I'm about to get my culture cipher and eh, like, culture cipher like a 40 you know what i'm saying four zero and like just there's no fucking like slang dictionary google thing that's like that exists that can tell you what this means or whatever there's no google search there's no google there's no internet so like you're hearing this thing as an outsider being like what is a code like what is he saying culture cipher like if you're not you know if you don't have any gods in your in your camp or whatever you're like left to wonder what are those words and then when you hear the words you're like what is a culture cipher and then you come to find out that means four and zero. And then you're like, wait, does he mean a 40 ounce or does he mean a gun? Like a 40 cal. It was just that whole thing because he's talking about this cat getting shot. And he's just like, well, he's talking about like he was going to the corner stores. He's going to retaliate. There's all of that wound in. And then you see the videos and you're like, yo, like, you know, with a timestamp on the bottom of Protect Your Neck. And it's just like this, like these random clips kind of smattered together and they're chasing somebody with a sword. And, and then, you know, people's faces are covered. And then the Method Man video, Method Man had two videos. The first one was like the grimier one. It kind of looked like it was part B-roll from Protect Your Neck and then some other. You look at these videos, Wu-Tang became a, mon became a monument visually, not just by the iconography of the W, which we could that we could talk about that all day. I mean, that's like now like something that's like a hot topic in the mall type shit. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, just right next to like the misfit skull, you have these videos that we looked forward to in order to see like the fashion sense, like what staple pieces people were rocking. So the second Method Man video, for instance, it's a little bit glossier. Like, I think it was made with a little bit more budget and definitely, like, it was made for, like, MTV, yo, MTV raps, maybe. Less swords, less, like, deviousness in that way. But then you have the appearance of two North Face jackets called the Steep Tech. They had, like, Kevlar. They were, like, these, like, pullover kind of jackets, I think. Or, like, or they zipped up in a weird way, but they, like, sealed in the front. They had, like, a Kevlar padding. There's one yellow, black, and one red and black. They're just, like, these two cats are sitting in the background. And you're like, yo, those jackets are crazy. Then, talking about jackets and talking about pullovers, can it all be so simple? However the song title goes, what Low Life's called the Raekwon because of that video, the snow beach. Just the colors. And there's, like, old footage of Wu at like clubs and you could you could see like i think ghost is wearing it it reinforces that like camaraderie because it's just like i like hold my you know you could rock this tonight you know like that's probably raekwon's piece and you know ghost was rocking his piece or maybe maybe ghost went to albie square or whatever went to you know went to that part of brooklyn and and and, and copped his own regardless obviously the wallabies then later became a thing we'll tell you know that's more so like wu-tang forever era from 95 on actually and then uh other things heli hansen jackets became a big thing in 95 do a lot to the wu-tang videos the all i need video with mary J. he's got the he got the jacket reverses it like visual i mean chess boxing like they're doing the they're on a chess board they all have the hoodie the the conehead hoodies and the, the stockings and it's just 
just like who's who. And then, yeah, that's when you see Master Killer for the first time. You're like, oh, damn, they put this guy in the video. And this shit is crazy. Um, obviously, shout out to Ralph McDaniels, you know what I mean? Video Music Box, legendary archivist, definitely a showcase displayer of culture, a purveyor, communicator of culture. Without Video Music Box, a lot of us wouldn't be seeing this shit until it was on MTV and we had to wait for that. Like he was doing, showing videos. That's how I first saw like De La, Rakim or the Fat Boys even. He directed Bream and, ooh, I forget if he did Can It Be or Protect Your Neck. I forget who did, I forget who did what, but basically like he's a big part of that cream. That video is incredible. That video is incredible. Like Raekwon's in the staircase. Gang is right. Gang is right. The cream video is incredible. Meth by that fire pretending to croon like ODB with a bloody toothbrush in his mouth. Ray staying rough and rugged in the project staircase. It's just superb. And you talk about wooing fashion. Every head I know was rocking Wu wear at one point. They really translated their musical identity into those garments for real. And it wasn't just the garments. Images of Riz's finger spike rings or Method Man's iced out fangs still stand out today, as well as Ghostface Killer's audacious jewelry of goddamn golden eagles on his arm. And the Wu-Tang stamp was everywhere. And for a look into how someone like Ghost got to flossing just so hard, listen to him on the Fat Joe Show. I get the heavy jury from these Jamaicans that was in the hill over there in Ray's projects. They used to come out with big bangles and big birds hanging down to their kneecaps and all that like that. That's when I thought like, yo, you know what? Wallabies, the robe, the robe. And I just wanted a bangle that just on some Shazam, like a Shazam bangle. You know what I mean? Like, yo, and just get heavy on them. Like, yo, now, which I want to do with this now? And I tell you, I put that bracelet on and it was just, it was just on some superhero tone shit. After that, it is over. Take that in for a second, a Shazam bangle. That's exactly what the Woo were about. But right now, I just want to take a minute to single out one of the members of the crew in particular for this episode. A guy who most people have regarded as the heart, soul and spirit of the Wu-Tang Clan, Old Dirty Bastard. Now we dig into his star much more thoroughly over at the Patreon, which we've talked about already, for reviews of his solo work. That's a shameless plug over there, patreon.com slash great808. But ODB and his unfiltered ball of spontaneity, whose artistry was made of a bit parts from Biz Marquee, Cool Keith, George Clinton, Flavor Flav, Slick Rick. Also harking back to the days of Blowfly and Screaming Jay Hawkins, man, ODB became rap's melodious folk hero. Dirt McGurt was one of hip-hop's freest spirits ever captured on wax and as Sheldon Pierce once said about Dirty's first solo album the Dirty version is above all a brash indictment of American classism and respectability politics unapologetic and raw he turned to Uncle Sam and hollered this is the savage you've created and he did it with a Cheshire grin for old Dirty Bastard the line between mania and lucidity was always razor thin a slapstick high wire act that was as exhilarating as it was dangerous ODB noted the distinction between the respectable blackness in the eyes of mainstream American society and the disreputable as noted by the writer and African-American studies professor Richard Iton. To many, ODB was a depiction of a kind of blackness that was obscene, ignorant, dependent, deviant, unkempt, unruly, and worst of all, uncontrollable. 
But listening to 36 Chambers today and his first solo album, you can't help but think how much of his stardom would have made it today. As Julian Kimball remarked in 2018, ODB dominated the news cycle before going viral into the lexicon. His erratic behaviour was never a display of petulance. He was just comfortably shameless in an industry unconcerned with the well-being of the damaged souls it enables to profit. If he was alive today, he'd be hip-hop's most transparent display of impulse, a constant topic of conversation. Indeed, the man spun the wildest tales in rap. From that speech we all know about the 1998 Grammys protesting Puff Daddy's win for Best Rap Album, to pissing on LL Cool J's records at Chunking Studios, to hijacking Wyclef's Winnebago, and to iconic interviews on MTV. I went and bought me an outfit today that costed a lot of money today. You know what I mean? Because I figured that Wu-Tang was going to win. I don't know how y'all see it, but when it comes to the children, Wu-Tang is for the children. We teach the children. You know what I mean? Puffy is good, but Wu-Tang is the best. Okay? I want y'all to know that this is ODB and I love you all. Peace. If it means anything to you. I rap, but I sing, man. You know what I'm saying? And I don't know how to sing. You know that I care for you. I got birth by gonorrhea before. Then I got birth two times. But gonorrhea. You know what I'm saying? The reason why, I, you know, I came up with the welfare ID, you know, I just want to show people, you know, how, how to be real with it. I'm on welfare right now, for real. Let's take another phone call here. Hello? Hi, hey. um, my name is Meenda, and I live in Florida. Being a young black female and a, also a teen mother, um, what do you guys do to get back, give back to the community? Um, also directed mostly towards ODB. I know Proz and the Fuji's do things for the community, but what do you, what is going to be your thing for the community? Nothing. <laughs> and to iconic interviews on MTV, all the way to escaping a rehab facility and still popping up as a fugitive to perform at a Wu-Tang Clan release party in New York. I can't stay on stage too long, the cops are after me, he said at that performance when he was doing Shame on an End. What an absolute legend. But now we had to give that man some love. Let's get back to our guest Gang PTP for more Wu Rap Chat. This is why they have series. This is why they have documentaries because you can't do Wu-Tang justice just having a two, even three hour combo because there's so much to them. But what you've said there is absolutely right. They stretched it beyond the music. Like, yes, Riz is breaking song structures. He's changing the sonic landscape, changing it visually, fashion-wise, label-wise, like getting signed, getting everyone to deal. Like, that is a music business podcast right there. How they actually made their money and kept their purity almost, the integrity of their symbol was always there at the beginning but then I always think to myself is the visual side to it and all this other world building they've done it's almost like someone's tailor made them to be like timeless like do you know what we're going to set you all up we're all going to give you different names like the Avengers you're all going to have different backstories if you want them you've all got different styles and then we're going to have this big plan that RZA has to get you all into your own fields but on all of that you're going to have the densest lyrics ever these otherworldly personas and stuff that's going to be dissected I don't even know if they knew that it just happened to be you can dissect that killer tape skit for ages I, I 
Yo, 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 man, hold on, hold on. Yo, man, where my killer tape at, yeah? First of all, where, yo, my, yo. where the fuck is my tape at? Yo, Sean, Just figuring out that. And that's the same skit with the Shami got bust 10 exactly. times. You know what I mean? Whatever. Is like, he yeah. dead? Is he dead? <laughs> is he fucking dead? What the fuck you mean is he fucking dead, yeah? You're like, oh, do they rip Method Man? Like Method Man's fine taking the hit in that skit because it's almost like a play and they all have ego. We've all seen the arguments on YouTube, you know, on in the docs. We've all seen them argue, but the fact that they're okay with no, Meth, you play that guy, I'll play this guy. It's amazing imagination. You see why when people say like Odd Future, Rock Marciano, maybe even Griselda, the stuff that's come out in the last 10, 20 years, it's very lazy, but very easy to go, oh, it's like Wu-Tang. Because Wu-Tang made that. Wu-Tang made that otherness and you can't think of another verbiage. There's no language to articulate as well. But when Odd Future came out, it was always, oh, they're like Wu-Tang. But they're not really like Wu-Tang, but I get it. Do you know what I mean? It's sort of like this new version of what the collective can look like and, and act as. You have all these different segments, these different members that have their own lane. And I mean, even to that point, RZA, to his praise in that era as like a visionary and like a genius producer, was creating different soundscapes for each of them as they then went on to be soloists. Like Takal does not sound like Dirty's album, does not sound, Return of 36, does not sound like Cuban Links. Cuban Links does not sound like Iron Man, even though people paired Ray and Ghost together so closely. And I mean, rightfully so. Liquid Swords doesn't sound like on any of the other joints. You get to forever and it's a different sound, which we'll get to. You know, Native Tongues was was a collective, but they were very still, they still felt splintered. You know, it wasn't like De La and Jungle Brothers and Tribe were doing all these like a whole album together. It just, there wasn't a Native Tongues album. They were collected, right? But they just didn't do like, you know, NWA is too small. It was like a handful of them at most. I'm just, I mean, I'm just even looking at like albums that came out in 1993, which was a crazy year, by the way. I mean, 94 is insane too. Arguably even crazier, but like, you know, you don't really have like too many, you know, Digging in the Crates was, had members both on the production side, obviously doing work and, MCs spanning from, you know, by that point, Fat Joe's first album comes out, but you know, you have Diamond already had been out showing AG. AG had been on the show in AG, Runaway Slave, Lord Finesse. Maybe Hyro. Yeah, but there wasn't a Hyro album. True, true. We didn't know Hyro in 93 though, like that. Like we knew Souls. We knew Dell. Dell. Yeah, Dell and Souls. I think Casual was 94, wasn't it? Yeah. Casual, I think, was the next year. Yeah. yeah, so yeah. No, you're right, yeah. That must be inspire people, right? To see a group of fucking hard-done-by people. You know, these people, you can draw a complete thread from Malcolm X and civil rights to the woo. That lineage is right there in the music. To come out, keep it together for as many years as they did, which is what I was going to go on to for, like, to replicate this 36 Chambers. Or, like, not replicate it, but, like, to grow it almost. It's almost like it was impossible to grow it because it was such lightning in a bottle with so many moving parts, nine different people, cappers coming in as well. Then you have, obviously, the floods and all this stuff and everyone's solo deals. I don't even know if we needed it. We don't need another 36 Chambers. But what was to be expected when Forever come out? Before we get into Forever, I need to talk to you about categories on this album. But before we get into categories, I need to tell you a little bit about what you just said there about the iconography. You know what's beautiful for me? I've got a Wu tattoo, right? Millions of people do in the world. And that's the beauty of it is we have this collectiveness that's now not just a group, it's the fans. So it's like, you know, Fight Club, where they're at the wedding and they spot each other and they're like, and they're like, oh, Oh, I know. I know what you've been doing. And it's almost like I remember starting my new job, corporate job, sitting there in my woo hoodie and two people 
in the corner just being like just whispering come over and like uh, see you wearing the woo i didn't know you were. bang i know now you are going to be friends probably at this place and you can't downplay their imagery and what it actually meant and still is for young people getting woo tattoos you know but categories on this album it is a perfect album obviously i think four and a half mics it got when it come out we all know it should have been five but for you are there any moments on this that maybe you think are hidden gems are hidden gem moments where you're like maybe that needs a bit more shine or moments of sheer perfection that you can't stop rewinding that you're just like yeah that's shit man all the interludes the radio call in Again? Wu-Tang again? Again and oh, again. Yeah, again and again. So what's up, man? Cooling, man. Chilling, chilling. Yo, you know I had to call. You know why, right? Why? Because, yo, I never, ever called and asked you to play something, right? Yeah. You know what I want to hear, right? What you want to hear? I want to hear that Wu-Tang joint. Wu-Tang again? Again, again and again. I know Father to His Style being like probably the most quoted. I think they used it in the Wu-Tang drama on Hulu like he's like oh you know, I'm the old dirty bastard because there's no father to my style then we got then we got the old dirty bastard because uh-huh. there ain't no father to his style that's why he the old dirty bastard um and definitely the killer tape skit being probably the the craziest one just because of also like its duration we look at like Prince Paul and Dela as like the ones to really create this story and create this other kind of like world or like at least a very solid narrative through the utilization of skits I believe the first Redman album had had some skits too uh at least like maybe Superman Lover maybe one other joint I know definitely Dare is I'm just trying to think of like other albums you know NWA did The Chronic did Ice Cube had a few. Yeah, true, true, true. But they all seemed very performed. You know what I mean? Like they all seemed very like scripted and kind of like cartoonish almost by that. When you hear the killer tape skit, you're being thrusted into their world. You're like, what the fuck am I listening? Like what 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 did I just stumble in on? You know what I'm saying? Torture. When you hear them talking over torture, that is one of the most like, you know, that that is just one of the most quoted ones. Like I remember hearing torture just being like like now I wish they separated it from Method Man. Yeah. Cause it's, it's long too. It's like <laughs> it's long. Like, wow, you have to keep going. Like, okay. As a kid, it's it's endearing. If you're a teenager, that's that shit you love. Yes, it's kind of nonsense, uber violent. And I do remember there's, there's again, this weird serendipity or like, you know, things happening at the same time. I remember Wu being massive. I remember Tarantino being massive. And those two things for me in my life at that time was, oh, I'd got into 36 Chambers and then obviously Cuban Links and, you know, Iron Man. At the same time, I'd seen Pulp Fiction and Reservoir Dogs and then obviously by forever comes out then there's jackie brown on the uh, is coming out nearby and when the w came out i think kill bill wasn't too far from it i think it's like maybe a few years that's where the connection got made too yeah there's a score kill bill so there you go there is that weird like i don't know i just remember there being this like you said earlier about like this punk attitude of like you don't need to have in tarantino's thing linear storytelling i don't know what that was as a kid i've not watched russian man i didn't watch that as a kid fascinating that that you went there with the skits because i love that as well the skits and then just the kung fu samples in itself, those are like... I'm certain I can beat you. Just thinking about that time of Tarantino on the woo, on the rise, at the same time, good lord, I do miss the 1990s. But now, let's hear from a regular voice on this three-album run series, Nate LeBlanc from Dad Bod Rap Pod. Here's his thoughts on this incredible run of records. I'm certain I can beat you. 
what can be said about the Wu-Tang Clan these days that hasn't been said already. They're probably the greatest group in the history of rap. RZA as the kind of headmaster of this school of unruly rhymers who just brought so many different styles to the forefront. The incredible business acumen to spread them out to different labels when they did the initial run of solo albums. The group breaking up, coming back together. Now they've got documentaries. They've got a show about themselves. They've got fashion. They've got video games. They've truly done it all. The world is a better place because Wu-Tang found a level of popularity that is unthinkable when you think of how grimy and cloistered and dark their debut is. Um, The fact that that resonated with so many people really speaks to how they captured lightning in a bottle. It's just a once in a lifetime thing that now many of them have been able to make these great sustainable careers out of and to the point where they're not even really considered to be rappers or musicians anymore. RZA is just as much of a film scorer, producer, director as he is a rapper and producer and Method Man is a well-regarded actor um, with a show on stars and um, just a personality. So there's um, you know a lot to say about Wu-Tang kind of more than I can capture in a short voice note but there's just so much incredible music there and the guys are just so good at what they do. You know just think about an early career Jizza where he's um, making these incredibly intellectual connections between topics and verses and doing themed verses better than anyone else ever has and then contrast that with an old dirty bastard who's so musical and soulful and so free-flowing in his artistry it's uh, having those two guys in the same group is just magic so um, Wu-Tang Clan incredibly important I'm so, so glad Nate highlighted the actual contrast between these Wu-Tang members like ODB and Jizza. It truly was magic. Now, let's get back with Gang and 36 Chambers. Slept on moments or like things that need maybe perhaps like hidden gem moments. I would say 7th Chamber, either version. I think that's also one of my favorite Jizza moments because it's his whole like split up brother's back like a Dutch master killer. My clan is thick like plaster, brusher, slasher, split a nigga back like a Dutch master killer. Now jumped off and killer, killer. I was the thriller in the alley. That blew our wigs because also at that point, yo, we're like 12, 13, 14, still listening to this album, right? And getting into smoking weed at that point, getting into drinking 40s at that point, because that's what we, that's what kids did. You know what I mean? That's what you did to get to escape, you know, as part of your escape route. After we were dealing with Dutch masters, like the, the blunt, we heard the jizzle line and just made, it just flipped our wigs. Like, wait, wait, wait. It meant something completely different. You know what I mean? We're like, because, you know, when you first hear it, you don't know what a Dutch master is. You're like a Dutch master killer. Like, and you might know the Kung Fu flicks. So you're like master killer. Okay. But like, what the hell is a Dutch master killer? And then what, like, what does that have to do with, oh, like splitting someone's back. Okay. Kung Fu. When you split a blunt, cut it with a razor blade or split it with your fingernails, your thumbnails whole new meeting, you know what I'm saying? So definitely seventh chamber. And actually I love, yo, I loved clan in the front with that intro too. Yes. Up from the 36 chambers. <laughs> it's the ghost. <laughs> you know, when you hear people in prog rock or like kraut rock or like, you know, when they just, 
go off on a nine minute guitar solo and people would hate that people would hate that but there was a moment where people loved that that is fucking RZA on this he does it on this he does it on Iron Man he's got a bit on Iron Man where it's just I can't remember what track it is but I think it's near the end and for about two minutes he just fucking wilds out and you're like whatever he's smoking he is in that zone and clan in the front bro Jizza all over that on the back end and oh man kind of front for me is a five mic moment absolutely i'm with you on that that intro is incredible i was going to go there though you talked earlier about like things not being perfect right or like things being off and i was just to cream you know the tape rewinding at the beginning just little things like that like those little moments right they meant so much as a kid and then you scratch the surface and i think i, I do think ghostface even said that moment makes it more perfect it's more us and more what we're about and you know when you look at what 92 maybe he made this in 91 1990 whenever cream was recorded but you think fuck man the imperfection the beauty of imperfections can then be seen in well everything from rizza all the way into kanye dilla madlib you know they all love the imperfections of what they doom doom that is rizza that is that rizza sound right no, the imperfection is is why, like, that's why, you know, people call this raw and, you know, it's perfection within the imperfections. You know what I mean? It's, it's, this is the vision being realized and it's just like the raw gem, you know what I mean? And like, you can't replicate that. You can't do that through some form of like, you, can, you know, nostalgia also would just kill it. Like the whole nostalgic, like looking back at retro kind of, nah, you can't, nah, you can't do that. This is literally a moment being captured. That's why it's so special. That's why it's so like integral. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. 100%. Before we do move into forever, just wanted to say my five mic moment. I, I mentioned it earlier, but I did listen to Protect Your Neck and it's one of them ones that you think, yeah, you know, I love Can It Be So Simple. That might be my favourite track on the album. Cream obviously is an incredible anthem, but I was like, Protect Your Neck, we all know what it's about. Listen to it again today, this morning, as I was about to go. And I'm like, literally my wife comes into the room. She's like, you've got to chill out. I was like, I can't. When you actually think what they've done with this song, right? There's three greatest of all time verses for me on one song is with different people is a level I'm not sure how many obviously people hit me up if, if you if there is other songs that have got three four different members with three different four great no no one's even going to you know argue those but I think it might have the best rap finish to anything I've heard because you go from the RZA coming around the mountain when I come turn your fucking cheek I'll break your fucking jaw the hardest shit right and then he's like ah jigger genius take us the fuck out of here and then you're on this journey with Jizza talking about Money getting stuck to the gum under the table about you've got short arms, but deep pockets. I'd never heard that before. It's like when Killer Priest came out with your arms are too short to box with God. I remember those things that stick in your head forever. I remember thinking even on this, there's not many like really going at women, which in the 90s hip hop, there is a lot of that. And in this, it felt like it was a bit further away from that until Jizza comes in with, in fact, let's bring the girls in. Let's have a mud fight. And that moment, I was just like, this guy should finish every song ever, forever. Like, just whatever song is out there, let Jizza finish it, because it's the best thing. Another one there, took a genius, take us the f*** out of here. The woo was too slamming for these cold killer labels. So ain't had hits since I seen Aunt Mabel. Be doing all the sin like Kane did Abel. Now they money's getting stuck to the gum under the table. That's what you get when you misuse what I invent. Your empire falls in your... 
So I, I'm sure people may agree with me, but again, call out to the listeners if there are any others. The the best finishers in hip hop, I would love to know. Best finishers? Ooh, yeah. I mean, there's, you know, the, the harken back to the scenario, Buster Rhymes, like that's, and also that song is probably another song I'd cite as like having three like standout verses, Buster, Charlie, and like either Q-Tip because he had the way he alley-oops it to Busta or Fife in setting it off. Hey, yo, Bo knows this, Bo knows that. Like to your Jizza point as being a finisher, especially in that era, doing the Lucky Charms, Orange Stars and Green Clovers, like the end of uh, Seventh Chamber. Yeah, Seventh Chamber, yeah. Wow, now it's all over. Niggas seeing pink hearts, yellow moons, orange stars and green clovers. That whole verse, you're just like, yo. <laughs> like, and the way the beat drops and the emphasis, that really planted so many seeds in my mind. Like, as far as like how music, like when it shifts, what that does to like a narrative, like that you're listening to, like someone like telling you something and this drops out, this element comes in, you know? And you hear that throughout all of these, these albums, these three albums, like little sound effects coming in, leaking in maybe by mistake. You know, especially on Wu-Tang Forever, there's like some really weird points where you're like, is that, was that a glitch that we heard? Similar to the, the beginning of Cream on the album. And to know also that this was recorded on a four-track cassette player. So like that literally was either like the reel-to-reel being started up and like them catching it or like RZA recording to the reel-to-reel or the mastering whatever deck and pressing the unpause button on the on the task cam on the four track that they had the, all the recordings on like that nigga want guy up look out for the cops though it's so crazy that is mad and to not just then do a normal hip-hop record you know when you have the task of fuck me i've got to do it this way and this way and this way and then i'm just gonna make some that just you know a bit more generic instead they're doing stuff like tears which is like you know that maniacal laugh ha 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 those moments and flourishes in it where you're like you're still pushing the pushing and pushing every every song there is a lot of emotion on the album i think that's one thing that woo might not get as much maybe shine for is like deck is sound so somber but it's depression on cream and you know yes he has the flary you know swinging through your town like your neighborhood spider-man lines but he also has some like he ain't trying to hear what i'm kicking in his ear that defeatism you know to it all and I think with Wu, Rizza brings it much more viscerally. You know, like, fuck me, his his brother's been shot. He's, he's, you know, crying on the track. Those moments, all there. But like, you're going to Wu forever. Where are these moments? Like where? And they do show up. Ghost has an incredible moment like that. Ah, uh, yes. Wu-Tang forever. Here we are. 1997 saw the clan drop their double LP follow-up to 36 Chambers with fans around the world hoping it would surpass their classic debut, which, if we're being honest, was almost an impossible task. 36 broke the mould and laid down roots for modern hip-hop today, but Forever helped solidify those exact roots and show artists they didn't need to stick to formulas to be successful. In 1997, there was a moment in music where the Wu had a chance to become leaders with Puffy and Suge Knight and help shape 
mistake the rap you heard on the radio, but Wu-Tang Forever, despite selling tons of records, failed to shift the gangster rap and shiny suits off of the charts fully and become the standard bearers for commercial hip-hop. True, their beef with Hot 97 played a part, headlining the station's Summer Jam, a king-making event at the time, the Wu weren't in the mood for bowing down and kissing the ring, especially with an ongoing tour with Rage Against Machine happening at the same time. Yes, a severely annoyed Ghostface would scream fuck Hot 97, we listen to Kiss FM, and then go on to add Hot 97 where hip-hop dies at Summer Jam itself, whilst even getting the crowd there to yell it with him. Of course, this resulted in a band that went on for years, with the group's records and solo albums being blocked from getting any airplay from numerous radio stations. But Wu-Tang Forever's impact is perhaps more widely felt 25 years later. Whilst in 1997 it didn't change the sound of commercial rap, it did succeed in keeping the Wu-Tang even more insular and outside of the mainstream, impacting underground hip-hop to a monumental degree. Just think about the success cuts like 97 Mentality had on the underground. Yo, it's the burial ground sound done. It's real out here. Staten Island putting chills in y'all niggas. Forever in it. Yo. My devastating hot 97 mentality. Keep me on point for my four digit salary. Heavyweight lyric never lost one cat. Coming from the same crew where the members feature on Batman soundtracks way over there in Hollywood. I got your mind twisted. Unrealistic wave limb draining all your brain strength inflicted. Crosswords puzzling your doubt. Questioning your own mental health. Yeah. It's like a maze within itself. Yeah. Check the grimy, slimy, slimy, criminal. But quickly, if we are talking about Wu-Tang flavor on film soundtracks, please go and search out Let Me At Them from Inspector Deck on the Tales from the Hood album. But back to Forever and the impact in the UK, when that music video to Triumph dropped, it was huge. UK hip-hop artist Akala even calls it a moment of crystallization for him in life. Just think about that. That's how big the album was. But don't forget that RZA has admitted he lost a ton of unreleased music due to two floods in the mid-90s, which may have been also a catalyst for the shift of sound on Forever. But boy, some of us rap nerds would love to hear some of the beats coming out from RZA's prime in 92 to 96. You're telling me there's a few albums there that we could have dug into? That is the holy grail. But although Forever did split some of the listenership, it became a firm favourite in record collections. As Alphonse Pierre declares via Pitchfork, the Wu-Tang Clan are messy. If there's a rule, they're going to break it just because. Yes, Wu-Tang Forever is bloated and disjointed, but also the greatest distillation of the Wu at their most chaotic and functional. The Wu didn't need the rap world, they had created their own. The sprawling, gloriously messy double disc album makes no concessions. It's almost two hours of bars dunked in the Fresh Kills landfill. Dense wordplay, twisted humour that blurs the line between reality and fantasies told on the corner, and RZA's unrelentingly dark production with a polished spin. Naturally, they dethrone the Spy Skills for the number one album in America, reaching the peak of their popularity as a collective. 
Now, knocking the spy skills off of the charts in 1997 is a level, so don't sleep on the power of the Wu even commercially at this point, but the album to me is still utterly unpredictable and transfixing, with RZA's stark naked ambition threaded throughout. That ambition is crystallised on stuff like severe punishment, a cut that meanders and becomes hypnotic, whilst displaying a truly grand and imposing lyrical display from you, God, Raekwon and Jizza, smashing this filthy, filthy, filthy beat to smithereens. And the album is stacked with standout moments that still hit you upside the head today. Think of how majestic ODB sounds on Reunited, or Ghostface's utterly devastating verse on Impossible, or Method Man becoming smooth like butter on Bells of War, or how playful Raekwon becomes on Heaters and Hell's Wind Staff, or what some people call the Woo's apex, Triumph. All these gems, and we've still not mentioned Visions, For Heaven's Sake, or Maria. On this album, there is what I like to call a Malcolm X energy. Wu-Tang Forever has that, the world weariness, but the sheer pride is threaded throughout the whole thing. Just listen to tracks like Little Ghetto Boy, The Project, Second Coming, and Cash Still Rules, Scary Hours. But before we kick it back to my man Geng, I need to do a special shout out for as high as Wu-Tang get. One of my favourite RZA beats of all time, with a bass that will shift the whole climate around you. Despite the sweet irony of Jizza calling out rappers for being long-winded on projects, as he spits, yo, too many songs, weak rhymes, that's mad long make it brief son half short and twice as strong well some people could have aimed them exact criticisms to Wu-Tang forever but with that let's dig in to the second album this run with Gang PTP but for you when Wu-Tang forever comes out bit of context then right we've had some solo fucking classics Wu wears massive I think even the PlayStation game might have been out no no I think the PlayStation game no no that definitely came out later that was 99 or so I, I was just in college dorms and seeing kids play that like my my RA at my first freshman year of college at Manhattan College or whatever like he was playing that shit I was just like oh is this game any good like you know what I mean and I was just like oh, I mean, like I fuck with Wu I love Wu but like I don't know if I'm gonna fuck with this game I loved it that's the thing that's right that's like the vastness of the Wu-Tang universe. Like not only is that W iconic, not only are like they seen as somewhat like dictating some of the fashion other kind of like, as we said, like, again, like otherworldly, like just like left field sort of like, yo, like everything from like the Wallabies being dyed two different colors to like Capadonna wearing wild shirts on the pillage album insert, which is amazing. Like head wrap as like, two shirts and like shirts around his arm and instead of jewelry, but like also still having crazy big medallions, which was also a Wu-Tang thing. It's like, like these huge interplate medallions, as they say, you know, the jewelry, all that, like the truck, the truck, truck, truck jewels and whatnot. Yeah. They really took it from Slick Rick and they just amped it up. Absolutely. Absolutely. From the street, the street legends or whatnot of, of, uh, you know, like the paid in full era. So the so-called paid in full era or whatever. But this is the thing that so much happens from this to 97. Again, in 90s hip hop, that's huge. It is lifetimes. People come and go within those few years. People have come and they have gone. So the woo to still be around. I'm trying to think of another time in hip hop where there's been a further as much as before we forever. Like in my personal life, maybe Snoop's second album for me, like Snoop's second album was like, everyone was doggy style was still getting rinsed back then. And I just, from a personal point of view, I think Snoop's was up there. And I think maybe Biggie's second album as well. But again, this is all very personal. I don't know what it was like in New York. Yeah. I'll give you the view. I'll give you the view. Also, let me shout out Will uh, Ashan. For the 
his book Chamber Music, which when you were talking about the sort of like the civil rights ties and sort of like the lineage of, you know, let's just say black liberation that then kind of bleeds into 36 chambers or like Wu-Tang as a whole ideology and whatnot, like, you know, Will really does a, a bang out job of writing about the history, especially in America, socio-political um, happenings and Wu-Tang's first album and just tying everything together. I definitely recommend that book. That book is very, very much uh, quite outstanding, I think. Just a joy to read as, a, as someone who digs that shit, but also was like such a, you know, was such a, like was there for that moment and is a Wu head, at least to a certain degree. But speaking about like New York in 97 and like what happened between, the sound of rap was changing. You know, it wasn't about these Jeep beats. It wasn't about that, like, people people out the game within, like, a one to two year shift. Like, I mean, like, I don't want to slander anyone who's really a legend or whatever, but, like, look at a group from Staten Island as well, the UMCs. Their first album was, like, 90, 91, and then this, they came back in 94 with, like, the hardcore kind of thing. They were doing, like, this hardcore thing. With their first album, they sounded like they could have fit in the native tongues. You know what I mean? And then it was just, like, this doesn't work. Like... Y'all really did well with Blue Cheese and, and One to Grow On. Those are incredible moments in the canon. But then doing the hardcore kind of like East Coast stomp, hoodied up, disrespecting women type shit did not fly. Like it just didn't sound, didn't fit well. And like similar to that, by 97, you had people who were on this sort of like hoodies and Tim's energy, switching it up to then by 97, definitely by 98, 99, might have been adopting more of this so-called shiny suit jiggy era sound because that's what was going on so i really do believe that like no one saw the lore around big and our circle and like around folks that i was it, yo people weren't saying ready to die was like the second coming or whatever and people weren't like it wasn't it was like okay like that album is good but yo it came out in 94 like Illmatic came out obviously Smith and Wesson was just about to come out Smith and Wesson The Shining came out early 95 was supposed to come out in 94 Wu-Tang Redman there was all this stuff that was going on in New York already by that point that was like, you know, Tribe, Midnight Marauders come out came out in 93. So people, you know, people were really looking forward to that, that fourth Tribe album, Beats, Rhymes, and Life or whatever, with different sound, et cetera, et cetera. That's a whole other podcast. But like the culture is being more so-called divided because there was much more multitudes in and also industrial sort of like involvement. You know, radio was now doing this, you know, people were pointing at the radio being like certain DJs like Flex, for instance, Funkmaster Flex as like accepting payola or banning. Wu-Tang got banned off Hot 97, I think, around that time. We were anti a lot of shit. And this is when the independent shit was starting to happen too, or the underground in New York. So you had Company Flow, you had Fondalum, like Bobito's label, and obviously Stretch and, Stretch and Bob were like huge at this point as far as like cultural leaders and whatnot in terms of just, you know, they were recognized that they were getting recognition at this point. You know, those tapes were going way outside of just New York. You know what I'm saying? Those tapes were reaching Japan and Europe and, you know, definitely the UK and whatnot. There was all this kind of going on. Love that. How Wu-Tang stood for a lot of anti-establishment ideas and it all going global. But I do remember at this time there being a lot of rumours of the group falling out over silly shit. And we all remember the argument on tape on the bus. Kill that shit, man. What? 
You know what I'm saying? Shit, anybody wanna hear that shit? Y'all niggas are still word is boy. Y'all been fucking playing me for this whole fucking shit just cause the fucking camera's on. Y'all cut that, that shit out, out man. Nigga. You know what I'm saying? That shit. I don't give a fuck. I'll be do that shit any other motherfucking time. I'm saying like this. Y'all probably. I don't give a fuck who's around. So let's hear from some of the members themselves on that subject, specifically Raekwon and You God on Hot 97. These are my brothers, man. At the end of the day, you know, I don't, I don't never look at them like the enemy mm -hmm. you know regardless of what we go through i think it's just more like we don't understand each other fully yet you know? business wise maybe you don't connect yeah business wise we don't you ever think that maybe y'all have grown apart but y'all still try to keep it together just because it's the wool it'd be like that i mean you can't walk it's hard for for me to walk away from something that 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 made me mm -hmm. you know I, I wasn't cut from that cloth to just not acknowledge that you know one thing about us is like we we'll argue we we'll, you know go all the way there but we won't physically take it there because you know when if it becomes that then it's like it won't never come back no turning back yeah you know because we ain't those type of dudes it's like it's always going to haunt us like yo you you got we got it in so mm -hmm. i would never i would never respect you no more but you know at the end of the day it's brotherhood man it's like you know, for somebody who got a big family, brothers and sisters, and, you know, sometimes you you love your family from distance. Mm -hmm. you like, yo, stay over there. I'm going to stay over here. Mm -hmm. You Is know, but we don't wish each other, you know, I don't wish, you know, I ain't down for that. I don't, mm -hmm. you know, because I know when you go get a bag, you go home to your, you know, mm -hmm. my nephews, you know. Cats and in the crew got names after, you know, they, they name their seeds after. Everybody's family is mm -hmm. really tight with each other, so it's like you can't just... Yeah, you can't just walk away from that. Right. You know, we that's one thing about us. We ain't gonna never let money, you know. I'm the type of dude like this. If you if you take something from me and it's on some money and I love you, it's like I look at that was a way for me to, you know, see who you are. So it's like if the money was the issue, I know who you are now, you mm -hmm. know. Mm -hmm. Some people just get addicted to, you know, feeling like that's how they gotta handle each other is by robbing your friends, you know what I mean? Like if that's what you got to do, bro, then, yo, I guess the money, you know, I ain't letting money. I ain't letting money over overcome who I am. Why did y'all have a brotherhood, though? And like, like, like Wu-Tang had principles and integrity and morals and values that, that helped raise us. <laughs> so how are y'all not I'm, doing I'm, that amongst each other? And what I'm saying is right now, makes you should have you should have understanding of where, where I'm at, where we at as brotherhood. Right. That's some things you got to just let go and just figure out, you know, just figure it out and don't let money, you know, mess up certain situations. Don't let certain don't things. Don't let cash rule everything yeah, around you. Yeah, you can't. Cash <laughs> rules, you know, the, the outside world, the physical and this material things that we need. And when money gives you, uh, makes things easy, but it doesn't make you love, you know, mm. it doesn't give you love. Right. It doesn't give you happiness. You know what I mean? <clears throat> Only the people that you have around you do. But if I got a bowl of soup, my brother got half that bowl. Yeah. Like, that's how it should be. Yeah, it's like that. It's still okay. like that, you know. I'm, I'm pretty sure if I, you know, if I need something, I go see, I go see, you're going to be like, yo, yeah, boom. I just don't, I just ain't never had to ask him for nothing. Gotcha. You. you know, I'm one of those brothers. I was always self-reliant, so I just kept how I was, how I was rocking. Tiger style. <laughs> The Wu-Tang Clan Brotherhood runs deep. But now, let's get back with Gang and the response to hearing Wu-Tang Forever for the first time. I think when Wu-Tang Forever definitely was something that we were anticipating to a fault. When it dropped, there was backlash because it sounded so different. 
it sounded cleaner. It sounded more polished, like a sharp, sharper, like frequency wise. So it wasn't that like dusty and it was a double CD and we didn't know how to digest that. That's just a lot of music. That's a lot of sound for like, you know, durationally, you're like, yo, we got to listen to both these at the same, like in, in, a, in one sitting, like, what are you doing? So there was a lot of like flack that we gave it at first. Cause just like, and, and, and similarly, similarly that happened to big. Big was in the shine. Big had the fucking shiny suit anthem, the more money, more problems with Mace on it. And we were just like, yo, Mace, like Mace sounded like this now. We knew Mace from like the uh, Children of the Corn days. So when he was dissing Mary J and dissing Versace saying he's going to rock guests all his life. You know what I mean? It it was just like, you know, we felt like some of some folks were leaving us. We felt like we were being like left by the folks who we just done wrong. You know what I mean? Being done dirty by folks. And it was just like, all right, like, who's going to show us that they're standing with us, so to speak, like with the so-called culture or whatever. So there was a lot of things that when Wu-Tang Forever dropped, people forget because over time, like people celebrate, you know, they they just remember, oh, it was just whatever. Oh, there's a lot of revisionary shit that that's on the in- internet around it too. Like little like high snobiety thought pieces. And it's just like, it was just like, oh, the double disc served well to give space to people who are more uh, slept, over, slept on men- members, like Inspector Deck. And I was like, what are you talking about? Everyone since 93, everyone wanted to, or since the realization that members were going to go solo, like since to at least everyone wanted a deck solo. The deck solo album was the, the most anticipated shit that never happened in the way that it should have. So getting a deck solo on Wu-Tang forever was just like, <gasps> and we had one other deck solo song prior to that. That was on tales from the hood a song called let me at him. And that song was and is still bananas like that shit is crazy the rizza beat is it's in that whole lineage of like why did you sample this like what is the sound that i'm listening to but it works it's maniacal and like he goes crazy he goes crazy like he does on Mr. Sandman on Takao. So that's why like, we were like, yo, we need to hear this guy make a whole album. We need more of this. So hell no, he wasn't no slept on. Like, what are you talking about? You know, you obviously wasn't, you obviously weren't there. You were somewhere where like your friends were weirdos or some shit. <laughs> But that's it, isn't it? That's how we're getting the hip hop where we were getting it. It was completely on a more gate kept level. Absolutely. You got Tim Westwood doing his thing. You got the Source Mag hip hop connection. If we had now where it's all more atomized, it'd be completely different. But that's the interesting thing about the expectation we had to what we actually got and the reaction we had to this album. Because I remember when I first heard it, I kind of loved it. I loved how different it was. It was completely different to what I thought. I never thought it would be this. I never thought you'd use so many violins. I never thought it'd be double LP, get the world excited. You know, is it reunited double LP for the world excited or whatever? And I was like, I wasn't really too against like the length of it. It was more, it all sounds quite the same. On my first listen, I was like, this all sounds quite the same. And then I remember thinking like, no one else is doing this and it hasn't changed music. That's what my expectation was, is, oh, they're going to change music again, like he did on 36 Chambers. I think with this one, although it is really ambitious, I now love this album. I love this album. And I 
had it came more in my 20s. So at least five years after its release, I really started to find my, holy fuck, this is amazing. When you look at, you have the chance to be leaders, like you have the chance to absolutely break the mold once again and have people birth, just birthing people, sodding people, you know? And instead, they don't. And what they do, I find, is they kept it really insular. They kept the Wu-Tang, that, it was still a, an incredible appendage to hip-hop, but it didn't change hip-hop, really. Like, if you think about it, Wu-Tang Forever didn't really change hip-hop. But what it did do is for the people who were tapped into that world, guess what? We're going to RPG this motherfucker and give you, like, a whole other universe, including a fucking interactive CD. I'd be like, oh, put it in the PC. Like, what? What does this all mean? And they're all, like, little clips. And I watched them on YouTube again. I was like, oh, they were just clips of the guys just chatting shit. Like, like they're all just chatting shit and uh, by the time it gave you access to more of the Dungeons and Dragons feel you know that kind of like fuck we're getting more of this now two things to the double CD aspect of it like basically like remember like back then like we listened to albums for over a year like you listen to albums over the course of years not only learned it from start to finish but also you grew with an album so like 36 Chambers I would still cite or like listen to in 95 two years after, you know what I mean? Two whole years after, even 96, 90, you know, you still pop that thing in your, your Walkman or your CD player or whatever. Same thing with Takao. But then like, as the soul albums started to come out, you're a time for like really digesting it. You can ingest it, but time for to digest it gets shorter because you're getting hit with this thing and this thing. So there's two to three things happening in 95. Three things, right? Method Man was the end of 94 or like, Somewhere close to the end of 94, then Dirty, Raekwon, and then I cut school for Liquid Swords because it was, that happened in the fall. I would have cut school for, for Cuban Links, but that was a summertime album. So because I was just like, I need to have this first and then have the, have a fat tape, like what, you know, like a fat mixtape, like album cuts. So Fourth Chamber was on my tape the next morning. And I'm like, yo, you know about this though? Playing this shit. And people were like, yo, what? And then, so... Iron Man comes out. That's a different sound. And that also took us a minute to get into. Not, I'm not even going to lie, like, because it was, it was a departure from, it was something somewhere in the middle of what we got with like the dustier RZA to then what then became forever. And also we're talking about listening to like writing enhance. Ray, Quan, Ray and Ghost are like in orbit now, as well as Cat. You know, that's the Winter Wars verse. Oh, the Winter Wars, I feel like we were hearing in 95. I feel, I feel like that was definitely came out before. Like that was one of the songs that they just kind of grabbed and put on Iron Man. I feel like that and Motherless Child. Motherless Child was on Sunset Park soundtrack. That's just like Heaven of Hell was on the Fresh soundtrack. You know, like I think in 94, that came out in 94. So that was way before Cuban Links. Like, so that was before Glaciers of Ice and Criminology. But cutting to Forever, by the time Forever comes out, we're still tapping into this new, newer sound of the woo from Iron Man and also realizing that not a lot of us haven't realized how like ingenious Ghost and Ray at this point, even more so because it's like Ray from 95 from the Cuban Links and, and Liquid Swords to this point, it's like a brand new version. Like since like Faster Blade and Iron Maiden and all that, Daytona 500, like all that to then forever and where he's at or forever on Triumph, like, yo, People are going to hate me for this, but like the best verse on Triumph to me is not Deck. Deck is a great set off. Is, is, Deck is great. Deck is it's one of his strongest rap about nothing verses. Right. What you know? is that? Because like Ray and Ghost. 
Okay. <laughs> you cannot even fuck with those verses. Those verses are some of the illest shits ever penned, period. Hey, yo, that's amazing. Gun in your mouth, so verbal foul hole. Connect thoughts to make my man chow walk. Swift notarizer, blue tank, all up in the high riser. New York gang visor, word tranquilizer, just a dosage. Delegate my clan with explosives. Wow, my pen blow lines ferocious. Mediterranean, see y'all, the number one traffic. Sit down the Ray bed. says, connect thoughts to make my man child walk. Like talking about like, you know, Wu-Tang lacks emotion. Like that shit is literally, that is existential fucking, come on, G. And then, you know, goes talking about sneakers, just painting this picture of like his room. Yo, 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 fuck that. Look at all these crab niggas laid back. Lamping light and gray and black. Room is on my man's rack. Codeine was forcing your drink. You had a navy green. Solomon the fiend. Bitches overheard you scream. You two-faced and scum of the slump. I got your whole body numb. Blowing like Shalimar in 81. Sound convincing. Thousand dollars. You know, you got Quincy Jones in the video at that part. And you're just like, like Rizzo's sitting with Quincy Jones years prior to then when you see RZA sitting with Quentin Tarantino and you're like, well, damn, what kind of coke, what type of, what type of drugs are they on type shit? You know what I mean? Like where everything kind of goes, woo. Anyway, not woo in a good way. <laughs> exactly, yeah. To the point of like then getting all of this in like a double CD serving. It's just like, damn, like you gave us a lot already and now we have this? Like we got, oh. so we were kind of mad at first. Like we were just like, Jesus Geng is right, Wu Forever did seem a lot back then, but it's aged brilliantly in my opinion, and those two discs showcased a real period of growth for RZA, who was hitting his stride musically. And for some insight into his motivation, here he is talking to Broken Record. A lot of those beats was made because I was in my house, I had my beat machine, and I'm making beats. It's fun. You know what I mean? Brain the pain, that was made having fun. Um, Maybe after... Dude, I had a flood, <laughs> you know, that washed a lot of my tracks away, like in 19, uh, right before this whole, right before the big solo Wu-Tang solo albums, right? So maybe 94. Then, but I had made record deals with people, right? So I had to turn out a lot of work. And I sat in that basement for years turning out a lot of work, meeting deadlines. And I, I succeeded at that, but, and it still wasn't a lot of money, but I think when the money got involved, I think at one point, and I'm not sorry to say this uh, nowadays, at one point, you know, maybe I was getting 100, 100 plus a track, right? And around that range, I'm not even making music unless you call me with that money. <laughs> you know what I mean? So the money became the dictator of my creativity. Very eye-opening comments there from RZA, and Honest too, whereas you can hear how money affected his craft in his career, on Forever his sound is still piercing and fresh, and on the actual sound of Wu-Tang Forever, let's kick it back to Geng. And then it sounds like you got violins, you're like, what is going on right here? Like, a lot of synths. A lot of synths, yeah, yeah, yeah. So RZA wasn't just using samples. I'm like, it didn't sound like this dusty stacks catalog kind of mining. It was like a lot of layers and a lot of things painted over by synths. And but they keep trying to change the structure. I, I, I didn't think that as a kid, but just older. You know, when you get older, you start look, looking at the songs and you're like, when I was a kid, I think I knew this at the, at the time, but only as, as I've got older, I, I will make the statement and I, I'm here for people to shout me down for it. But I do think over this much music, I don't think there's a better display 
of consistent lyricism that actually says stuff as well. You know, from Little Ghetto Boy to MGM to Impossible. Oh my God. There's so many moments in it that I'll actually say, lyrically, this is back to front incredible. So I've got it written down here. Riz's production choices you talked about, right? And Ray has come out and said, what did he say here? He questioned, it was questioned, his choices were questioned by members of Wu like Raekwon about him making it too clean with Rive instruments. Do you think then, has it denied Wu and us albums that are a lot more maybe successful? Like if, if they were a bit more dusty and sample driven, do you think Ray Rizza could ever have gone backwards? I don't know if he could have ever have gone backwards. I don't know. I don't know if he's that way inclined. If Rizza had just kept it, you know, this is what works at the time we were mad about that as well like we were just like damn it sounds too clean you know just it sounded it wasn't you know even as sh- as like sharp and metallic as like cuban link sounded to me like I, I listened to that album my headphones at first and i just remember like being like what the fuck is the sound like the sound it just you I'll, on some nerdy shit, I can get into why I think it sounds that way, but they'll say that for our conversations. You know, you have to get the Patreon for that. Go, go, you know, just kind of go to Patreon for that. Yeah. Um, but um, the thing is with RZA, in looking back, I'm happy it happened. Also, the fact is, this is the, I want to say this is the first album that they broke out of the producer box of just being RZA. The singular producer box. So you have True Master and Fourth Disciple. Fourth Disciple was doing stuff for Killer Army, and I believe Sons of Man had um, he had some stuff with Sons of Man as well. I'm actually pretty damn sure he did. And it was very much like a different version of what RZA was kind of doing. And then True Master is this super dusty kind of like 12 bit sounding, like I you know like. He and cats like Ayatollah were like using maybe like, I don't know, it sounded like he was using like a SP or something or just like an MPC 60 and like slowing samples down to like make them have that dustier uh, appeal or whatever. And like really chopping things too. It was crazy. Like the way he formed like fish or heaters. That whole song is crazy. But like, I right, so you have RZA kind of reaching outward as well and like bringing these these two cats in. The engineers are different too. I think you have uh, Scotty Hard is on a couple things, um, who's incredible. I think Scotty Hard does, no, it's Anton P. I forget, one of them does Kaz stuff now, but like legendary cats, just like uh, on the line uh, with like Bob Power, for instance, you know what I'm saying? But getting back to the question of like RZA doing dusty shit or whatever, I think he returns to it in the next album we're talk about. Uh, I think he does it rather successfully too. And, but then there's the whole question of timing, the question of like timeline and like what was happening, uh, you know, in the, in the, you know, in the world of, of, of rap music at that point or whatever. So even though RZA was to bring back that dusty sound to his work, members of the Wu still were not happy. Here's you God speaking on it on DJ Vlad. After forever, we was always complaining about the music internally, man. It just wasn't strong enough. It wasn't powerful enough. It wasn't big enough. And he still wanted to put out, RZA still wanted to put out records under that whack production. We felt it wasn't strong enough. And he sits there and says, you know, he thinks his production is still strong. We like, nah, dog, it's not. It's not heavy enough. You gotta get it right, you gotta get it right. Not saying that it can't be, it's just that you gotta take some time and, and actually put your foot in it and actually take some time and, 
and take two years of your life to make some powerful shit. You can't just put it together on some microwave shit in two, three months, think you're going to fuck around and come with a banger. I don't give a fuck. You got a whole bunch of producers from all over the world and you sample their music and do all that fly shit, though. If it ain't powerful, it ain't banging, it ain't, me. You know what I mean? And that's just what it is, man. And, um, you know, he, he's just one of them brothers that sometimes... He don't believe his he don't believe his shit don't stink until it drops it. Then next you know he like he'll try to blame it on somebody the fuck else. Nah, dog, it's production. It's always been a production. Far as rhyming wise, we are still some dope ass MCs. We still we still some of the best MCs on the planet Earth. But we need those beats, man. And Ghost 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 is always saying that shit. Oh, we need this fucking music, man. We need some new. We need the music, not a new sound, just something. You know, strong man, it's just you know, big enough to where it's like, oh, you know what I'm saying? You know what I mean? And, and I, I feel like groups go through that era where they, you know, where they, where they, you know, they, they peak, they get up here, and then they go down, and they gotta try to find themselves again, and try to come back up again. You know what I mean? So you know, we going through the time where we trying to find that them sounds, man. Those sounds is very, uh, very crucial. I mean, was RZA still doing all the production, or just you know? Well, yeah, him, he, him and, it was going through him. It was going through him. You know, he was, he's, he's the one that gets the final say-so about certain shit. Amazing to hear the pressure that Abbott was under during this whole period. But did it show in his music? You be the judge. Let's hear what Genk has to say. Let's, let's keep on forever real quick. I, I, I mean, looking back though, I'm just, I'm, I'm happy it, 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 it took a left turn. I can understand why, because I think everyone had that, not everyone, but a lot of people had that reaction to, to first hearing those beats. And you're just like, like some of them, some of them bang, but also like Fourth Disciple did Scary Hours, I believe. Shake the niggas. Scary hours, no money out. Smash the Guinness style, play the outfield. Lucille switch cracks on chill. She's a rich fiend. Sacrifice a fan, ship the niggas to Queens. Guess jeans, he charged 35 beans. Hit the cell phone. Those joints kind of were the ones that hit at first for me personally. Like, I was like, uh, like reunited. And I'm like, all right, whatever. Then like. Severe punishment. Soon as that come on. Oh, that was more, that was closer to like the, you know, the earlier days, so to speak. Like that's almost- That was 36. Yeah, that's almost something that you can hear with, uh, like even on like like a Liquid Swords or something. You know what I mean? You're like, oh, wow. 100%. The, the tempo of it too, and just like the Kung Fu samples too. There's something about that one too. It has like, it has some really, the strange sound, of, like the sound effects on it. There's like a, there's a Kung Fu sound effect that overlaps with the next verse coming in. I forget whose verse it is. Oh, it's, um, it's uh, Master Killer. Like he kind of just comes in, like he starts fading in and like there's already, it's like Kung Fu sound effects like still going. It's it's so fucking cool though. Like, I love that shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know which fit you mean. Yeah, that itself, severe punishment itself, is a hidden gem. I don't know enough people that do talk about it, and I also think you got stomping all over that filthy beat is just like damn, and then. Oh my God, Urges is great on it, but Raekwon just takes it, just basically puts, smashes it to smithereens after a while, after a minute. He's just like, that is 
top top level Ray flow you know that that flow Twist the deck up the niggas with map is back up watch he act up 52 block track we slap up play ground maneuver jet the Vancouver like this two Kahluas one chick she's German Luger get the shit off light a fresh pack bust it open with the seal on done deal on this with the real on next Rocky ring call it the Decatur slang souffle a whole decorator play the Mike immigrants none of us form resemblance Something Ray is intergalactic on this album like I don't care like everyone like if you ask like you know shout out to Call Our Culture they'll, they'll all be like like, yo, Ghost is, is ascending to, like, this, like, utter, uh, untouchable. And, like, he is, but also, I think, in that same concurrent ascension is Raekwon. And you also have Cap, and you also have You God, like, really hitting these peaks where You God's saying some, like, You God's verse on Triumph is nuts. Like, out the sky, flow, spinning bombs. Like, what do you, what? Like, just the phraseology of it all. Like, he, Kappa... Ray and Ghost, like the kind of like the four forerunners of even like the Cuban Link Squad. You listen to Knuckleheads, you you know what I mean. Kappa gets introduced on that album too. Like those are like that's the Cuban Link Squad to me. They are like doing that thing. Like they're like, oh, we all went to school together. Like in in terms of writing, like they're like, oh, like we we're all weirdos. Like here, let's go, let's, and it works. This Wu Tang Wu Tang Forever is them at their most like balanced. I think as a whole unit. Where like 36 had that as well, but I think, you know, Ghost now really, really, really leaping up in terms of how he's writing. I mean, you know, Ghost is one of the, the absolute, every time he's on, it's a highlight. You know what I'm saying? Like he's one of those verses that you look forward to. So I think like this is, to, to your point, you said it kind of earlier, like, yo, forever to me is them at their most like harmonious, kind of like their peak. Just like as like all the members are at the table, it's, it feels like they still... It feels like they they definitely are all putting in work and um, able to work with each other, even though I know that this was the period where things started to get a little shaky internally. I could have told that at the time. Reading back, you you see it, you see the cracks. But at the time, I didn't think there was cracks. I thought this is amazing. I think there's moments in it when, again, that really weird high-pitched tone in severe punishment is like, me, just comes and goes. It just comes and goes. Those moments in it, I think it was Ye and Just Blaze did come out and say, Wu-Tang Forever helped birth Chipmunk Soul because he is speeding up vocal samples and stuff like that. He and Fourth Disciple, definitely. Because Fourth Disciple did Scary Hours has that oh, oh, like people revise a lot of shit when they talk about things like the blueprint and like Rockefeller and that whole sound or whatever. Like they, they definitely forget like, you know, and also just the whole thing that's going on today with the so-called drumless uh, beats or whatever. But, you know, that that's things that we will get into and and harken and harken back to as well because uh, I think that shit was still going on. I think that shit was going on since uh, Thirty Six Chambers in a lot of ways. But we'll we'll talk about that. Yeah, yeah, no, hundred percent, absolutely. So going into a few categories, then forever being as incredible, massive as it is, I need to shout out for me a five mic moment is uh, as high as Wu Tang get. <laughs> As high as Wu-Tang get, for me, is one of my favourite ODB performances. It's a bit more controlled, but he's incredible. Jizz is unbelievable on it, but it's that pulsing beat of it where you're like, why the fuck would people say, like, you know, who could question this? It's just almost primordial. It taps into something that I can't even, you know, 
control the walk now. That's how, you know, it's, it's, it's that level for me. When I hear stuff like that, he talks about heaters, visions, impossible, triumph. Obviously, we talked about it's yours. There's all these, you talk about scary moments. Little ghetto boy to flip a Dre thing and make it completely your own. Little ghetto boy was, for me, quintessentially the chronic. But damn, we're just going to do the woo version. And second coming, Hell's Wind staff, even Maria, where you're just letting, just, it's just going off on these weird moments where I just actually think there was one moment where I was like, fuck, could I listen to this more than 36 Chambers right now? Like, there's so much to it. There's so much that I keep not remembering whereas 36 i know it front to back i know these little moments but in forever i keep finding moments you know like shit maybe the mgm is linked to this and like that story might not be like you know you start thinking of other capers that ghost and ray have come out with so i think um, for me yeah cash store rules as well scary as is, is incredible was there any others you had before we get to the w uh, that you think might i don't know maybe did a bit more love on on, on the album I definitely have to just big up the sequencing on, on Wu-Tang Forever. The song sequencing is just pretty phenomenal. I mean, you know, you can say the same for 36 too, but Bells of War coming in after projects, right? After the projects, that sequence alone, cause like the projects is kind of jarring. The, the beat is really sparse. And then Bells of War is like this like beautiful, almost somber sort of, um, you know, it's melodic. It's just like melody that, and it's like kind of upbeat. Uh, or like mid-beat, whatever, mid-tempo, but then, you know, you have Ghost, like, <sighs> Ghost verse on that is is something that I think led to Mighty Healthy, you know, like, he, the way the science that he talks on that is just like, damn. And then how the conversation, the little conversation bit right before Ghost verse, which also fades in, I love a good fade in, uh, which also fades in, right, as it's going, from the convo and the convo being about it's Ghost Ray and and and, and another cat talking about boxing. What he, what he, what he did? So he cut his eye. He's rap rest stick. David now nurture it. front row seat tonight. No And then the next song is MGM, which is about which is Ray Ghost at a boxing like at a fight. And then Ghost also mentions the MGM on his Bells of War verse. It's super linked. It's super linked. You're like, yo, like, how did they plan that out? You know what I mean? Like, did they plan it out? But obviously someone heard it at, at, at one point and was just like, nah, like, this, these need to go together. This is like such an attention to the sequencing that like so many folks were not applying and still aren't. You know what I mean? Like, it's just that thing of like tying these little things together. Also by using different narrative devices you know there's a conversation happening over here so once again we're thrusted into their world as like a as a fly on the wall just like overhearing whatever we, like, we don't even know what this it's not like we're going to talk about boxing right now or like the best fights uh, that Ty, uh, tyson ever had no it's like it's mid convo and it's just happening mid song too there's no hook you're just like what what is this talking happening like what and it's not a kung fu sample you know what i mean 
And then also, I got to also big up the to, in, in this sequence. I, my one another favorite moment is the conversation between the kid and Raekwon at the beginning of the projects. Uh, you know, studying one twenty. Uh, call me back at the God Hour. You know, like come on, G. Ray's pre-verse. You know, light up the broccoli, kid. Throw the throw the relish in my back pocket. Light up the broccoli, kid. That these moments again, they stick in your head. That sticks in your head, man. Come on, G. Peace, God. How you got? Studying 120 right now. Mm. Call me back at the guard hour. The fuck? Yeah. It's just a new way of thinking. Light up the broccoli, kid. Throw the relish in my back pocket. Keep your eyes open. On some uh, slept on moments to me, I think like, but also favorites, um, the vocal interplay on like the second half of Deadly Melody where like everyone's pat, like it just, there's no format. It just like, it's like, all right, like this person has four bars. This person has eight bars, but you know, so it's like street life and then ghost face at the end kind of go back and forth and start going crazy. But shit like that, the sound effects, the electrocution sound effects also on older gods just kind of like comes in and out of that fourth disciple beat. Those are the moments. Those are the moments that stick with you. I'm still going. I do that ODB thing, just cooking. ODB, I think, is the spirit and heart of the woo a lot of the time. Like he brings that weird esotericness to them. But before we move into the W, I need to say we talked about Ghost on Impossible, but Ghost on Impossible might be just one of the best ghost face killer verses. Like, you're gonna fucking cry. Listen to that shit. That's emotion right there. Call the ambulance. Jamie been shot. Where's the Kimmy? Don't go, son. Nigga, you my motherfucking heart. Stay still, son. Don't move. Just think about Kiba. Should be three in January. Your young guard needs you. The ambulance is taking too long. Everybody get the fuck back. Excuse me, bitch. Give me your jack. One, seven, one, eight. Again, another one where you think, yeah, you may not have loved the album straight off the bat, but once you live with it and you realize what it means now and you just think, woo forever. At that time... If they had just ended then, I think we'd have just been like, fuck, like this is probably a classic straight away. Because we knew they had loads of stuff going on. Wu-Tang style. Just imagine the Wu-Tang Clan ending in 1997. That would be wild. But now, let's hear from one of our regular crews when it comes to talking about three album runs, weird rap. Here's what those guys had to say on these epic records. One of my best friends, Bobby, was a guy that moved from New York while everybody I knew was listening to like Too Short and shit like that. He was trying to get us to listen to the mystery of chess boxing. Mm. And most of us didn't get it. So can it be all so simple? Yeah, I didn't get woo at all. I read about them and I was like, I got to check this out. And I was like, oh, yeah, I think I've talked about this before. How they sounded offbeat to me. Like <laughs> they had de definitely like a different relationship to the beat as far as rhythm goes than I was used to hearing and it took me a little while before I was able to come to grips with that but yeah I fell in love with them pretty soon after that yeah into the 36 chambers I definitely fell in love with Wu Wu-Tang Forever was very dense it's not my favorite album but I still when I revisit it which isn't often do find new things in it the Wu is bittersweet because I didn't realize it was going to kind of be the last real pure Wu 
output before they just kind of all went out to do their own thing and never really came back together as the Woo. Yeah, I'd kind of lost interest by the time that came out. Yeah, you know, so. they had all changed by then, especially the RZA's production. There you go, the real-time casualties of the Wu changing their production and sound. Excellent work for the Weird Rap crew, go check those fellas out. Now let's dip back into our forever chat with Game PTP. Here's what I wanted to get into, actually, was um, RZA said, I kind of let go of the reins, right? He said, I kind of let go of the reins. Now we had like nine generals. It's very hard to get that control back because they're nine generals. Now you can't get it back, right? So I was looking at what Angus Beatty said, and it was really well written in The Quietus. He said, this album documents the moment where the purpose and direction of the first five years of the clan's plan ended. Do you think that this album in that way kind of signals, I hate to say the word decline, but maybe decline of the Wu's potency. Uh, yes, I do. The W is, it, it still happens. I don't know when The Pillage came out, but that's one of my favorite Wu-Tang solos. But that's one of the last great ones other than the first Bobby Digital which I also had to grow into. Like I, I, I kind of was like, mm, this is this is not. It's because I was like, we were all expecting the from the RZA the Cure. That was like an album that was supposed. That was like the RZA's solo album that was supposed to come out and just change the world type shit, right? Then he like hit us with his left. I think in ninety eight, ninety nine, Bobby Digital came out, um, and then obviously Supreme Clientele is er, the same year as the W, but early, yeah, early two thousand or early ish two thousand. So you know, there's still shining moments. And, and I mean, even like landmark moments, you know, with something like a Supreme clientele or even I'd say the W, but uh, you got, you definitely have some shaky solos. Uh, you get, it, it definitely, the focus, it gets a little blurry basically is what I'm trying to say. Past 97, it gets a little, it gets a little blurry. Yep. It definitely does get blurry for the woo. And so we come to our final album in this run, The W, which landed in the year 2000. No doubt lifted by the instant, if not surprising to me, success of Ghostface Killer Supreme Clientele from that same year, and then Riz's turn as soundtrack producer for Jim Jarmusch's Ghost Dog film, The W showed us heads that the crew were remaining true to their spirit after adopting a somewhat back-to-basics approach. As Jesse Ducker wrote on the album, The W served its purpose as a necessary recalibration after a period of difficulty for the group. Though Wu-Tang never quite Reachieved their mid 1990s levels of dominance, the W showed that they were ready to at least attempt to dominate hip hop music during the new millennium. The album wasn't a great leap forward, but it showed that they still meant business and they would always maintain a loyal following. And when you speak on the actual sound of the album, it was as varied as the clan had been on a record so far, I would say. Just listen to that intro and then listen to Careful Click Click. An incredibly jarring, if not thrilling, experience to a listener. Throwing a lot more guest features generally on the album and RZA producing all but one cut on the record, the album seemed to steady the ship after the lukewarm receptions of Jizzes Beneath the Surface, Raekwon's Immobilarity and New God's Golden Arms Redemption, which all dropped in 1999, a mere year before. No gimmicks or trend chasing, but still adventurous in its own way, the W sees the group drop seminal records like the aforementioned Careful Click Click, I Can't Go to Sleep, and the drumless magnificence of the genre-setting Hollow Bones, which may have one of the best Raekwon verses of all time on there. But for more on those and more on the Woo and their legacy, let's kick it back to Gang once more. 
you do get to the W then in 2000, let's just take for a second, they survived the Wu-Tang fallout. The stuff, you know, with the Rage Tour, Hot Night 7 ban, RZA changing his sound, the floods, all this stuff you hear. The fact that they came back to make another album, I always thought was pretty incredible. And then to make an album like The W, which I would then say, I have said it in the past, I'm not sure if it is my number one right now, but it's definitely top three Wu songs for me all time is careful click click when you are launching your album with that and a video for it and we had Kappa on the program and he, on the show and he was like oh they were real they were real heaters we were just they were real heaters who were using in those video and you're like that not surprised by the way yeah absolutely but then when I hear that kind of you're still experimenting you're still jarring my experience of what I expect from you and yet you have caught kind of it is a bit more retro, retrofitted like W I don't know because I think there is a bit more of that like it's, maybe I'm saying it's dusty sound but like the jump off and there's something about the jump off which makes me feel a bit more like I can imagine this being quite back in the day with the mantis, no the slim chances. Chantis, anthem, swing like Pete Sanford. Taking it straight to big man on campus. Brandish your weapon or get dropped to the canvas. Scandalous, made the metro panic. Call static, with or without the automatic. And while I'm at it, yo, you got cash passing. It's drastic. Got this in half. Hey, yo, and Gravel Pit, I am not a fan of. I think Gravel Pit seems so safe. It seems so safe for a person who can do careful on the same album. That might just be me, but I wonder what you thought. It's unfortunate that Gravel Pit became like an MTV background music kind of thing. They would just use the instrumental, like play the instrumental during like talk segments or like, you know, segments, segues into commercials, you know, when they show like the logo for like Spring Break or some shit or whatever, I don't know, whatever fuck shit they're on. When we first heard Gravel Pit, we were like, okay, like, you're like, you know, what the fuck is this Batusi shit? Like the fucking 1960s Batman type energy. But then like also the thing that makes it the only, the one really saving grace on that, on that song beyond the sort of like shock value when you first hear it, I let, I actually do fuck with it. Cause it's a gutsy ass move. Like it's, it's gutsy, but like, I get it as a polarizing moment too. I get it. I get that. But like ghost, his flow and the way he's doing, playing his voice on there because i remember like the rollout was for the w the rollout was the jump off and then and then careful click click the jump off was like okay you're doing you're doing the you're obviously alluding to protect your neck it's just versus no hook it has a cool little beat change and like it's but it's, it's also like very much that like stacks sound like that dusty i mean you know and then on the other hand you have click click and the W was RZA reclaiming things that he really signified in terms of production. And I'll say that as like, in the case of something like careful, click, click, it's the like, what the fuck is that sound or who would think to make this a beat type beat? Like, it's just like, what are these, what is like, it sounds like it's underwater. And then there's like this, like vocal, like this, like eerie vocal kind of coming in and out. And then the, just the stop and start antics of it, of it all. And then there's like these little beat chains where it's like, what is going on right here? And it goes right back. And then the, the kind of cross, the chop, the crossfader chop, the, the bing, bing, you know, like with the, with the bell, it's, it's genius. That song is perfect to me. <laughs> like, it is. But, it, but it's it a showcase. It gave yeah, you it hope. Yeah, it gave you hope. Right, right, right. That to me is like a Bring the Ruckus uh, 2000. Like, it's just like, what? 
what are all these? I just don't know what I'm like. I don't even know what I'm listening to. Still to this day, I'm just like, I don't know if that came from like one record or 20. And then also there's the other side of that, which is like the minimal short vocal loop. Or in the case of like, I can't go to sleep, the, like the minimal rhyme over the whole song extended loop type beat. So like you have something like Hollow Bones on one hand, which is a Sil Johnson sample. And then you have the Isaac Hayes joint, um, and you know that's those 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 two things now would be called drumless, right? It's like that those things fall into like the drumless and like Hollow Bones, kind of on that like is like a sort of alludes to I mean basically like Just Blaze and Kanye were making the so-called chipmunk soul or whatever, which I, I don't really fuck with that term or whatever, but like whatever. Um, but like this like sped up soul, you know, vocal basically like using the making loops with a vocal sample present is what that is. And that's what hollow bones is. That's what um, scary hours is. Although that's not Riz's beat, but still like it's a Wu Tang sound. Like the only other folks I could really credit that to was like mugs, Cypress Hill, but by the second album, Temples of Boom. And that was like a very, like we recognize mugs for that and alchemists. And, and you know, we by, the, by the, we were on that temple. Yeah. Killer like, Hills. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, so anyway, uh, retrofitted i think it's just rizza i would say it's rizza rec- reclaiming the things that he he was kind of known for and like made it made it a made it a sort of a point to be known for those elements you know as a stylistic signature i mean really like that's that's the thing too like rizza wasn't the first to make a so-called drumless loop you know that i th- i would nod to brand nubians all for one like that's a there's no drums added to that song the difference between that in 1990 and what Rizzo was doing since 93, say, or, or definitely by like 94, like heaven or hell, you know what I'm saying? Uh, North star on, on Cuban links, things of that nature is that he was kept on doing that. That was something that was done multiple times on one album. So it really was like something that he claimed, you know what I mean? Uh, made part of his signature. And yeah, I just, we were, we were happy. We were happy with like this return. Like I'm actually wondering, I was listening to it this week. I was wondering if it was really, it was actually done with any sort of like cassette tape, like four track. Like, did they, do they go back to the old style, like the original style, like recording 36 chambers and like hit the four track again, get the four track out of storage or did maybe Rizzo ran it, ran the song, like the songs, probably, probably this, probably Rizzo ran the songs through the a four track cassette or whatever in sequencing like in in the mixing stage of it all like after the verses were recorded because that shit is a bitch to like record it's a it's a pain in the ass to record on tape or even on reel to reel um when you're talking about like vocals and like people you know doing ad libs and that's like it's a lot of time expense yeah and nine different tracks like i mean nine different tracks by by the minimum but we're talking about cats who are doing ad libs backup vocals whatever like so yeah there's a lot more going on than that so it feels like it was, it could have been a loss. Years later, 2000, a lot of different hip hop. Again, Doom now is like a thing. I think Doom took a lot of my woo energy. I don't know if that's the right word, but you know that kind of allure you have for, I have no idea what I'm going to hear right now. Like when I press play, I have no idea. And after hearing a lot of woo for seven years, you feel like you know what you're going to get. But that's why this album is quite exhilarating because Hollow Bones, Can't Sleep. When I hear Can't Sleep right now and you talk about 
emotion that is one of the most emotional tracks i've ever heard like in hip-hop ever the technique is ill son watch how i spill one he's the biggie tupac big l and big fun havoc on his feature stack snitches house ladies children watches they produce the same pattern somebody raped our women murdered our babies hit us with the cracks and guns in the early 80s for those that murdered me shall stand before Again, was I expecting that? Maybe I should have been, but I don't know. There were moments of unexpectedness in this album that I think for the lack of ODB, I think you've only got him on, is it Conditioner with Snoop? And he's from jail, right? Doing that one. Yeah, yeah. That's, it was, it was, that was a thing. Like that was a sweet little surprise. Like not, you know, also noting the fact that like, this is the first album that they reached outside of the Wu collective uh, in terms of features. You know, people, Nas, Busta, and Redman all made sense. We heard Redman at Buck 50 a few months before that. Um, Nas, obviously, with Ray and Ghost through the Loud Records connection, et cetera. Verbal intercourse, you know what I mean, et cetera, et cetera. The Mob Deep stuff. Busta and Ray, uh, and I think uh, even a rock, young Rock Marciano were doing stuff on one of Busta's albums. They have a song. Busta was around the woo, but then hearing like Snoop on there was just like, what? Like Snoop, like matching that energy, but then also having him paired up with old, old Dirty and then hearing Old Dirty appear when he was, when we all knew he was locked up was like, that was like endearing. It's by far not my favorite track, uh, not even close to my favorite track. Probably something that I tend to, I might skip if I don't have time, you know what I mean? But it's like, it's, it was, it was a nice little tidbit. You know, it's a nice little uh, thing. But also, I think at the end of that track, there's that change up with, with that crazy beat. And Jizza and Jizza kind of just does a little like eight bar, 16 bar, like freestyle thing. And that shit, we were like, I got a whole story about when I first heard this album or whatever, like who I was with, et cetera, et cetera. But like, we would just look at each other like, like, yo, they're going for it. Cause it was just an energy shift. It was just like, can't sleep y'all on my flow. Y'all niggas don't know y'all. You see my style, calm but wild. You witness the rhyme, nothing but dimes. The eight ball murder verse, freestyle or rehearse. I wreck MCs, whether I'm last or first. What, what? What? I love the fact that you were still there sitting with your mates listening to albums. Like that felt amazing. Back in the day when the new album would be out, we'd put it on. Like I remember the W listening to that because I was a jizzer head still at the time. And I remember thinking there wasn't much jizzer on it. Like there was, but it wasn't I think they really leaned into deck, Ray, Meth, Ghost, obviously, but a ghost is on, like you said, he's probably hitting the apex at that point. But you're not hearing Master Killer Jizzer. Obviously ODB's not there. You God, maybe not as much. I don't know. It felt a little bit more sprinkled. They, they were sprinkled around it. Well, Forever was them and their most harmonious. I would say like, this is their last, this is like their, was it the, the swan song? Like this is their last like moment of that original essence, I would say, uh, or something close, some, where there's just a little pocket of that left. After this album, that bag kind of dissipates. There are great songs on, there are some bangers on like Iron Flag and even some of the albums after that. Eight I, Diagrams? I, I still, what do you think to Eight Diagrams? I don't think I ever listened to Eight Diagrams. Bro, it's good. Uh, it's fucking good. I'm, okay. All right. I'll take you off on that. No, I'll seriously. Big up Dean Van Nguyen, uh, who wrote the Ghostface book, Iron Age. 
I was I had him on and we were talking about eight diagrams and and I dug out the CD, bro. I went in. I actually physically got my CD player, plugged it back in, <laughs> you know, which is a lot of effort for people nowadays. Right, you know, right, who've got right. their phones. It's a ritual, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was like, no, I'm gonna actually fucking listen to this shit. And yeah, it was actually it was actually really good. I still really enjoyed the album. But I am with you. The fact that it has that pocket is a great word for putting it. It's that pocket of you know we all have like our own these are mine this is mine Wu-Tang is mine this is the Wu-Tang I love everyone loves different types of Wu but oh you I in this album I still found that oh this is mine kind of moments if you know what I mean and you're like you know it's, it's petty that we do that as fans but I was 20 man I was 19 at that time now I look back at it and there's definitely yeah Hollow Bones still gets rinsed as I said to you Careful's one of the first Woo vinyls I ever bought was the Careful single I found it in Derby big up big up Derby I found it for £2 in Derby I was like yeah go on then uh, so yeah big up Northern England but so I mean this has been a massively extensive chat over the Woo but if we're gonna like try to wrap up like the legacy of this run is pretty evident but obviously you can speak on it what you think maybe change for them and where they stand now like what do you have any expectations of the woo what are they obviously you talk about doom but then you have odd future you have people at brockhampton you know you have trip hop you can say trip hop has i'm not sure there's a woo legacy in that but i'm sure porty said we're listening to rizza you know i'm sure they were listening there's um on the second Portishead said album there's like two songs one of them's I almost feel, I feel like they they sampled this shit because of Liquid Swords, but I, I feel like there's a duel that's like the same record that RZA sampled for Duel of the Iron Mike, and also I think in the same order there's a song on um, the second Portishead album that right after that one has the Living in the World Today like baseline boom 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 boom, but it's like it's it's obviously super slow like. But if it's not them sampling that same record that RZA did for Duel of the Iron Mike, it's them absolutely channeling that whole texture and sound by them playing it and putting it to vinyl and put, then recording it to tape, whatever they did. Like I know they, they pressed their recordings to vinyl and then sampled that. But I mean, similarly, like it's what we're talking about with RZA, right? Like RZA, like running things through cassette tape. I mean, there's a, there's a few people, few great examples of that. Uh, also, namely Beat Miners on Enter the Stage, uh, running all the samples on the cassette tape and then, you know, making the beat from there. So you have those like levels of degradation, or but also levels of like textural addition. Yeah, shout out to Gino. Gino at Microchop, I believe he wrote about that. Microchop is a heavy follow. Please follow Microchop. Would you call them top 10 group all time? Like they're top, like just musically, not even hip hop, just like Beatles, Pink Floyd. Yes, without a doubt. The fact that they kind of got over the sophomore curse or like got through it and also had a third album that was worth the time and worth the price of admission and still kind of added on to the narrative. I mean, like Ghost, for instance, I think Ghost, Ghost's finest verse is on 36 Chambers is Can It Be? Just with those last lines. From there, then you have obviously Impossible. You have the end of Scary Hours, like where he just goes acapella. It's another one of those. But Ghost being emotive, opening up like that and really, really visceral like having a visceral effect on the listener impossible sometimes i hear that verse and I, I i well up like there's no there's no doubt and then this morning i was listening to the the w uh, on my drive-in dropping my partner off at, at the job and i heard can't go to sleep and i was just like 
just the, the gut-wrenching screams of the mother in the beginning, like that was hard already. I was like, oh, I had like a visceral reaction off of that. And then like Ghost verse and like the way his voice is like super high pitched and he's like kind of screaming and, and, and um, you know, he, he and Rizzo are both like on the verge of tears or maybe they're crying. Like Ghost is definitely trying to communicate, you know, grief, like utmost grief and like, and the performance of crying, like, also just that beat too like or just the song the Isaac Hayes song like Walk On By I have a different relationship with it's 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 uh, since Doom's transition because of Doom having sampled that two different times or two different ways for Dead Bent depending on if you have the 12 inch or the Operation Doomsday um, and and just sort of like my relationship with that song has changed since then I played it in a mix and I had Doom talking over it. And then like me listening back to the mix, fucked me up. I'm like, damn, why did I do that? <laughs> like, why did I do that? But like, it, it's, I think it was good, but it, it's just like, so hearing that and hearing ghosts and just the context of it all, it's just like, yeah, it's one of those ones. But I mean, this is when I'm like, was ghost writing Supreme clientele at the same time as he was writing his stuff for the W or this right after he finished his, his writing for Supreme clientele, like there's a mark, like a remarkable like shift in how he was even approaching his vocal play, you know, his like vocal performance, like he's doing on hollow bones and can't go to sleep. It's like, he's doing this thing where he's like, ah, like he's like squeezing his, his vocal cords, to like really get this high register. And it's just, it's crazy. Just off of like Wu-Tang, like 36 chambers alone, the Wu-Tang is a timeless, important, like cultural shifting institution or relic or whatever you want to put it you know so like for them to have three albums like a a, a, a fucking damn solid three album run with all the turmoil and, and all this other stuff solo albums that happened in between so Riz is producing most of all of that and he's still able to do a double cd album you know for the most part that's what I'm saying. The fact that we got a third, the fact we got a third, man, come on. And not just a third, they went and did other stuff. And this is the thing. I think we were easy to shit on because they sound, by Wu Massacre, it sounds very, you know what you're getting, which what you wouldn't have got in a Wu album before. You wouldn't have known what you got. That's why I love Eight Diagrams, though, because you are getting stuff that you're, oh, well, hold on, what's going on? But I do think what I love to see as we talked at the beginning of this, was like, yes, they are the genetic DNA code for a lot of what's happened after. I love what Jizza went on to do. Yes, he doesn't do as much new music now, but God damn, he had Carr do a solo track on his album. Like, and Carr has gone on to do, I'm not saying he's the reason Carr's gone on to do it, but the fact he saw it, they did them Pro Tools albums, they did those albums with Doom, those indie albums, you know, those albums that are like indie mixes loved by loved by the the alternate crowd i look at what someone like deck who if you look at him as a just as a person he could have just been so disenfranchised by having being hyped up as probably next to meth one of the best woo mcs and then not getting that that i mean meth's got to cow i love to cow i don't know people might not but he has to cow i don't know if he's never had that deck hasn't had that but what he has gone and done is grown into Zarface, 
into working in these other other where he's utterly comfortable and still smashing it. And I'm like, wow, I love the fact that the woo, I say it to you off off camera, which is we're like they're like cockroaches, man. They're never gonna die. Like you think, you think, oh the woo. You can never say, you can say hip hop dies. You can maybe be as brave as Nas and say hip hop is dead. You can never say that about the woo. Killer Priest is still dropping gems, man. Oh my god. Killer Priest is my my like current favorite Wu Tang member of by like almost by far like as far as like creating complete works and like you know i like just as far as like an album that anyone has put out i'm most tapped in with killer priest like like killer priest did a car with like uh what's the joint called rockets and nebula it's completely out of nowhere unexpected but also did the thing that he was like doubled down on the things that he was best at which was like insane detail and like description sort of narrative rap, but also just so like, just the way technically it like all is sewn together in this like crazy tight sort of knit. And then rhyming over anything, you know, we had the heavy mental, he's rhyming over a didgeridoo and like a a sub bass, like a little like bass pulse on, on in 1998. We're just like, what? Like I'm in Adam's family. Right. And like, so we credit ourselves or whatever, you know, like our thing was like, you know, we were into the, just thinking outside of the box and really trying to be somewhat experimental. And, you know, we were comic book and anime well, before it's called anime, but like Japanese animation and cartoon nerds. And, you know, in a way, like a lot of us were fanatics for like sci-fi and things of that nature. Right. And, you know, you get a lot of that from like organized confusion and some cell dwellers stuff, et cetera, et cetera, ultra mag, whatever. And then, you know, <laughs> this guy comes out and is like rhyming over like nothing. Like there's no, there's no pocket. There's no discernible rhythm. And we're just like, yo, this is the craziest shit ever. Like it just broke our head open. Like, And it's part of this collective, man. And this is it. This is, this is it. And, and, and you can talk all you want about the Rizzers and the, you know, and what they've done, but you have the killer priests, man. We're, it's a beautiful thing. We have the killer priests we have, but then, you know, what do we where will it, we don't know where it's going to go there could be a kid tomorrow who picks up fucking 36 chambers and finds a new twist on how to do music so i think it does transcend hip-hop this whole run transcends it i think um i'm so glad you could bring so much flavor to this and for so long thank you for your for your energy man i thought i'd get your energy drink halfway through or a coffee or some shit but yeah man thank you so much bro nah yo thank you g Yo, not for real. That's so much that could be shared just in terms of like individual experience with this music. I mean, especially Wu-Tang that transcends like these boundaries that we see so many other things get limited to. So I think that's an important, like that's, that's one of the deciding factors in, in where like this, something like that sits in the, the, the overall canon, so to speak. Right. And yeah, man, I mean, you know, I'll also say like Raekwon is still, I think Raekwon has never spit out anything weak or whack or any, like Raekwon is one of the finest writers of all time, period. I just, I will go on record to say that. And I'll say that if, if I'm asked that tomorrow, you know what I mean? I, I've been saying that for a while. So like, I would love to produce the Killer Priest and and, 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 a, and a Capadonna album. Actually, I'd love to kill, do a Capadonna do it, album. Man, where, do it, get in touch. I'd be yeah, wild. Yeah, That'd be call, crazy. Call, 
call Cap up and tell him, tell him I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nah, man, but that'd be amazing. But for real, G, like, thank you for for having me on. Uh, I'm, you know, created a way to this is is a weekly check in for me, and uh, you do you do stupendous work, G, for real. Very cool. You too, man. You too. Absolutely. Keep smashing it. Keep doing it. I think this is the energy we we got from this music as kids, right? And now, I mean, I'm in my 40s now. It's odd that this energy keeps me going now, you know? So absolutely, I'm absolutely here for it. I can't think of any more Woo Chat we could have. But if there is any more Woo Chat, the doors are open or any chat, any hip hop chat, but we'd love to have you back on, bro. Absolutely. I would, I'd love to be back. So yeah, just we'll figure it out. Big up. Thank you, bro. This was a Crate 808 production co-produced by Intricate Management, all music supplied by Grindhouse Music. Thank you.